Alrighty, I want to welcome everybody to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast and Google Hangout. Uh, this morning, I did have plans to uh, do a uh, creation science hangout with uh, a fellow Christian uh, by the name of Andrew, and uh, I goofed up. I gave him the wrong day. I told him next weekend, and I was uh, planning on doing it this weekend. So uh, if he comes along and wants to join in, he can. Uh, Andrew, I apologize for that. Uh, we can uh, continue or we can we can do that discussion next week yet. So, but uh, Christopher uh, Maudi, who uh, has joined me uh, on the show in the past, uh, said that uh, he responded to my email uh, this morning uh, asking if uh, he would want to join in the discussion and do a response to. Uh, in a previous episode, uh, we we had a, an hour hangout, and then I had done an additional response uh, to that uh, dialogue. In a, in a following podcast, and uh, so I've asked Christopher to jump in, and uh, maybe we can briefly interact and discuss uh, that that uh, particular discussion, and maybe take that on from there, and then we can uh, maybe, uh, between a Christian and an atheist, uh, talk uh, some about uh, science and uh, some of the uh, philosophical assumptions that come uh, into play when it comes to uh, the scientific process, and uh, we can talk about uh, different scientific evidences also that uh, confirm either evolution or creationism. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let uh, Christopher, if you just, I believe you can just unmute yourself at this point, and uh, you can go ahead and join right in. So welcome, Christopher. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. So uh so let's let's just go ahead and uh, just kind of pick up from where we left off. The I'll, I'll kind of briefly introduce, uh, uh, prep everybody here for what we had been discussing. Christopher and I had been discussing uh, anthropology, basically. Um, uh, how do we account for uh, consciousness, and how do we account for human morality? And Christopher had made a comment during our discussion, and. Uh, actually, you know what? Instead of me paraphrasing what you said, uh, I'll let you kind of jump in here and just just go ahead and tell our audience what it was that you had uh, said and then what I had responded to, and then we can kind of just go from there. So go ahead, Christopher. Well, I think the the clip that you had played as the preface to the critique that you gave, um, it started with uh, talking about the underpinnings of where morality comes from. And I said that I don't know. And throughout that, um, you, you, you kind of challenged me, you pushed me a little bit, um, as far as, you know, having a, a justification for morality and how you have one and, uh, my worldview doesn't. And I think I threw out the phrase, um, one man's, uh, intellectual and tech, one, one man's yeah. dancing around, um, certainty about uh, justifying moral uh, underpinnings is another man's intellectual integrity. Yes. You summed it up well. Yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. And um, so now I'm going to go, I took just a couple of notes. Now what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to try to reiterate your critiques, but I want you to stop me if I get them wrong. Cause the last thing I want to do is um, uh, have a discussion about a misunderstanding about what either of us said. Yeah, absolutely. No, go ahead. Cool. Go ahead. 
And so you start off by saying uh, that you tried to demonstrate, you know, am I the question that you asked in response to that? Because I, uh, after I said the whole one man's, uh, you know, uh, intellectual integrity is another man's inability to justify or, you know, paraphrasing after I said that, then you said, are you certain that you don't know? And you're, tr- you're using that as an example to show me that I also have certainty. That is correct. Yeah. That is okay. Correct. So the only thing that I have to say about that is I wasn't arguing against whether certainty exists, right? But from my perspective, certainty is about beliefs, right? And certainty can be swapped out with the word confidence, and that exists on a scale. I'm maximally confident about some things, minimally confident about other things, and it depends on what we're talking about as to where that lays. So to your point, from my perspective, um, I am maximally certain that I don't know what the underpinnings of morality are. But if you have some evidence that fits coherently and consistently within my worldview from where I'm coming from, from an internal critique, which I believe is what you're using, if I'm familiar with the Vantillian approach, um, then, then I would like to hear it. But I'm going to leave open, even though I'm maximally certain, that's not 100%. I could know where morality comes from, and I'm just, I'm just unaware of where to pay attention to where that is in my knowledge base. So, okay. but, but that's, so I would say that my certainty that I don't know is around 95, but I will leave open the fact that there is a 5% probability that I do know. But that's also like a weird thing because... Talking about what I don't know and being confident about that is is a different statement than being maximally confident that you do know something from my perspective. But so I'll just put that out there. I wasn't arguing against certainty. I know that certainty exists, but it doesn't mean that what belief I'm certain about is a certitude, which is something that exists objectively from us. Certainty and confidence only apply to our subjective beliefs. Okay. Um, I, I do want to discuss that a little bit uh, about um, about certainty a little bit, but I wanted to kind of go back uh, about the your your statement that one man's uh, certainty and another man's uncertainty is uh, is his intellectual honesty. I think was the the way that you use that. Is that correct? Am intellectual I, integrity, in, intellectual integrity. That's what it was. Intellectual integrity and honesty. And uh, my response uh, to that was, and this is what I would like to see you interact with first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can go back to discussing um, certainty based, you know, on, on a scale. Oh yeah. The, the only reason uh, why I brought that up is that is, that is what you prefaced. I, what I think you're going to address now with. The begging the question component. Yeah, so exactly. So what I wanted to uh, ask you is kind of respond to that. And I'll kind of uh, make sure that my audience, if they didn't hear my response, to just kind of briefly summarize. So when when Christopher had said that um, that uh, one man's uncertain, uh, one man's certainty is another man's, uh, uh, the other, another man's uncertainty is just his intellectual uh, integrity and honesty. What I What I responded to that was, is that um, that is question begging because to be uncertain about uh, and to say from my worldview uh, as a Christian, um, I obviously uh, unapologetically hold to that. Um, I believe the Bible is 
is true. Uh, I believe that is it is absolute and that it is my presupposition. And that from my worldview to say, if I made the statement that I don't know, um, I don't have certainty, I don't have knowledge about where morality or consciousness comes from, from my worldview, that would be blasphemous. It would not be intellectual um, honesty. And so the reason I say that you're begging the question, Christopher, is because uh, the intellectual honesty part of not knowing would only be true if your worldview was true. So it assumes that your worldview is true because from mine it is not. So I, I kind of wanted to see if uh, you could respond to that particular argument. Yes, I was muting myself because I was trying to do other things in the background and I didn't want you to hear clickety clackety while you're talking. Okay, no problem. Um, but it always takes me long to get my to get to my mic button. So I have to be honest. Um, so I have two different ways of addressing this. Uh, one of them is it sounds less like you're arguing that I'm begging the question than it is that we might have different definitions of what intellectual integrity is from our worldviews. From your worldview, it is consistent that having integrity is believing in Romans chapter one. And based on that, you do know, right? That is knowing is intellectual integrity, right? From your worldview, that is consistent. From my worldview, which doesn't, you know, uh, rely on the Bible and uh, from all my presuppositions, intellectual integrity is based on the model of critical thinking where step one is admitting what you don't know, admitting where the limits of your knowledge are. So consistent with my worldview, I'm defining intellectual integrity like that. What I'm not doing is saying that my worldview is true um, or better or anything objectively. What I'm saying is these are the things that I value intellectual integrity based on how I just defined it. Oh, okay. So I would, I'd like to respond to that because when you had made that comment in our hangout, mm -hmm. you, you did say that my knowing and, and you're not knowing, and you seem to compare my knowing and my certainty and you compared that to your not knowing. And you said that that was more intellectually honest. So I, I, don't, I don't remember saying more. Okay. Maybe you didn't. I'd have to go back and look. Mm -hmm. But um, but you know, if that's uh, you can change your position too. I, I, don't, I don't. Oh, and if, and if I did say more, um, that was probably inartful, unartful, inarticulate. What I what I really was saying is being consistent with your worldview, having certainty about these things is valued in my oh. worldview. And, and you know, uh, I can even go so far as to use like uh, metaphors, like you seem to be working from a top down approach where, you know, God has made the rules and you're adhering to them. Whereas I'm coming from a bottom up approach where based on how I'm uh, cobbling together my understanding of reality, I have a lot of, I don't knows. So then let me, let me uh, interact with that for briefly. So mm -hmm. from your perspective, since your, your definition of intellectual integrity and honesty is just simply different than mine, mm -hmm. and, and mine is based upon my presuppositions and yours is based upon your presuppositions, mm -hmm. and they cannot be used uh, in order to interact. We just have different definitions. So how is it possible that you can even have a discussion with me? Mm -hmm. um, 
that we can even have a discussion at all discussing these things if if your intellectual integrity is simply uh, that which you define, it doesn't apply to me, uh, it's really meaningless within my worldview, um, and since since it's just your own subjective definition of intellectual integrity and honesty, how do you interact with any other individuals within your reality and within your society mm-hmm. to even say that uh, intellectual integrity is anything that anyone, because this is just your own subjective definition, how do well, you well, no, interact not. with people within reality, within okay. your reality? Or do you have a reality or are you just, you don't know of anything outside of yourself? No, I'm not a solipsist. Okay. Uh, or solops. I don't, I don't solipsist, know. Yeah. Solipsist. Thank you. Yeah. I put the I before the O. Um, it's not a subjective definition in that I just made it up. Right. There are systems of um, understanding um, that are used for critical thinking. And those are the things that I adhere to. But I'm leaving it open to argument. And, you know, within that realm of if, if you're going to argue against how critical thinking should move forward, I'm open to hearing those things. And intellectual integrity, one component is knowing the limits of your understanding. So that's that's the one thing. It's not subjective. It's not Chris Moudy didn't make this up. Um, and I have like, you know, lecture series that I can point you to where there is convergence and corroboration of these things. Um, so that's the first point. The second point is how do I have conversations with other people with different definitions of intellectual integrity the same way that we're doing what we're doing right now? So, in other words, you can't critique anything that I'm saying because you just have different definitions than I have. So, how can you critique anything that I'm saying because you're just coming from a different worldview? How can you interact with what I'm saying? I'm I'm uh, not critiquing it, right? Uh, I'm an externalist, right? And if I understand presuppositionalism correctly, you're mostly an internalist. You're trying to find in, you're doing an internal critique of my worldview to show that it's somehow inconsistent in some way and that yours internally uh, critiqued is more consistent and you value that consistency right from an internal perspective am i getting this correct yeah i mean i think you're summarizing it somewhat now what i would well, say, i have to i mean if yeah, i can't yeah. spend a half hour explaining my understanding of it but yeah no, 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 conversation. No, no, that's, that's 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 somewhat uh, i i would agree I would, I would agree with that. Now, but I, I do want to, you mentioned something earlier, uh, just a few minutes earlier that I wanted to, because you said we would need to interact with one another and discuss on how, you know, what our processes are of critical thinking mm-hmm. in order to come to a conclusion. Uh, you know, you, you're saying that you're using, now correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're saying that you're using some sort of process of critical thinking to come forward with your definition of intellectual integrity and honesty. Did I summarize that correctly? Yeah, I like it. Okay. And so then you said that we would have to have a discussion to see if we have different views of critical thinking. So let me, let me ask you this. Is there, is there a uh, universal standard, for example, like the laws of logic by which we ought to engage in critical thinking? And if somebody is not using this, their thinking is not critical. And they're not coming to rational conclusions. So the answer to your question is no. Um, how critical thinking exists is how it has developed, and it hopefully will develop further 
so that it gets refined. Um, and the most basic, if we were to step back and look at what it is that you're asking me, it really has everything to do with operational definitions. If we're going to talk about topic X or definition Y, we need to have a meeting of the minds about what topic X means and what topic Y means. Because within different contexts, its usage might have may, might uh, emerge or manifest as different meanings. So if we want to use the same words, having the same meanings, we need to agree on what the operational definitions are. And we may not, disagree, we may not agree on them. So you, you said something about critical thinking uh, changing and kind of developing over time. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that at some point in time, uh, contradictions were con- considered valid? Things that we currently consider contradictions? No, just the law of non-contradiction. That A cannot be both A and not A at the same time in the same place. Well, we're seeing um, we're seeing that in quantum physics. Well, I would okay. I don't know how much you've discussed quantum physics, but or discussed or researched quantum physics, but I would actually disagree that it is. Uh, there are paradoxes within quantum physics, but I don't think that they're contradictory. It depends upon, and we have to get in a little bit into some science here, but it, it depends upon the perspective of the observer. Um, and the act of observing can actually interact with, at a quantum level, uh, can can interact with, uh, with particles and, uh, and they take upon different properties based upon that interaction. So it's, it's based upon... Um, I've done, and it's been a while since I've done, uh, I used to study a lot of quantum uh, physics and I used to listen to, uh, uh, Leonard Susskind and, and I've, uh, and I've done a lot of studying on that. And most quantum physicists would not say, uh, Leonard Susskind would not say that there's anything contradictory at the quantum level. It may seem paradoxical to us initially, but when you look at it, it's simply our observing of, um, of uh, particles uh, would uh, interacts with them and, and makes them take upon different properties based upon how we're observing them. So, okay, I, so would, I would is, disagree. I so, would disagree that quantum physics is contradictory. So this is another example of having operational definitions, right? Yeah. Well, so and, what, but, what but you're, my, you're considering a paradox, I would consider a contradiction yeah. and and it really has less to do with observation. A, a, um, a particle is also a wave. If you so, have definitions for waves not being particles, they are the same thing. A is also not A because a wave is not a particle, yet a wave is a particle. But, I mean, without, without getting into the physics talk, let's just let's yeah. agree, disagree. You were talking about contradictions in critical thinking. So let me redirect well, I, I back to that. I want to actually interact, not at a scientific level, but I want to quickly interact with what you just said there. So you said that you believe that it's actually a contradiction. So then my question, next question for you would be this. Are mm-hmm. contradictions true within your worldview? Can they be true within your worldview? I never thought about that question, so I don't have an answer. Okay. Well, I mean, you did say that you you did think that at the quantum level that it is true that both a particle is a uh, it is both a and not a at the same time in the same place. Mm-hmm. So, but we don't yeah. live at the quantum level, so that's you know. Well, but that is within your reality, though. So lots of things are within my reality that I'm not living at the level of. 
Well, I, I agree with that. So why would you arbitrarily choose that things that you're not at the level of is uh, is what doesn't contradict or where you don't accept contradictions, but you do accept contradictions in areas that are not at your level? Sure. Because the law of contradiction is a philosophical concept and the philosophy of science um, taps into all of those layers. So it was merely a, a case in point about um, I, I have a feeling that you're going to have a pretty hardcore reliance on the law of contradiction that I don't. So it was just one of many examples where if you're going to dip into philosophy and the philosophy of science, then there are examples where contradiction in the law of non-contradiction as it is used by um, presuppositional apologists um, is trivial. Okay. So can you explain to me um, uh, why your justification for your, your arbitrary uh, to me, it seems arbitrary. So explain to me how it's not arbitrary that you're saying that it applies in this area, but it does not apply in this area, or you, you don't think it applies in this area. You're not sure. Because if it exists in some areas and not others, then that takes it out of the definition of being absolute. And as I understand from my previous interactions with presuppositional apologists, they consider it an absolute law. Okay. So, so how do you know it doesn't exist in your reality? I don't. Your level. Okay. I don't. So contradictions might be true within your reality. You're just not sure. Depending on your definition of the terms. Well, uh, contradiction A cannot be both not A, uh, a cannot it cannot be both A and not A in the same time in the same place. So that's my definition of a contradiction. So, um, and you're talking about objective reality. I'm talking about all of reality. Yeah, they may exist, but I might not be able to perceive them. Okay. Um, so the other thing I wanted to um, briefly uh, mention, which I, I think, uh, let's see here. <laughs> dun, 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 let's see. No, not going to answer that. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. How socially appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I got to take a call. Yeah. No, I'm going to take a call on live on uh, Google Hangout with Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's let's interact with that briefly. Socially appropriate. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. I think you keep borrowing from my worldview, Christopher. Oh, there's the other part <laughs> of the argument. So, and yeah. do you do you seriously want to interact with this comment, or was that just like a, a jab, like a? Well, I mean, uh, that goes back to actually, that was really the next thing I was going to uh, uh, talk about was when, when, when I think that I, th from my perspective, Christopher, when you say that, um, that intellectual honesty is something that should be, you know, is good. It, it's something that you try to move towards. Now you say it's your own definition of that, but it is something that you, you I know, value. try you value, I, I think is the, the word they use. Um, my from from my perspective, Christopher, mm -hmm. that that there is nothing of value if atheism is true. There is no if atheism is true. There's nothing that is. It's just flat. There, there there is no there is no value system in order to judge anything by. So how so when you say that that is something that you value mm -hmm. and uh and and you know we could talk about what intellectual integrity is. I mean, I think that you and I would both agree that intellectual integrity is is the act of uh, not, not purposely not, not purposely misleading and being dishonest and uh, so I think I think we would agree with that but I I think the reason we agree is we both have you know as a as a Christian I would say that we both have a morality that's revealed to us by God now you're not 
you're not giving grounding to God for that morality. You're Mm -hmm. grounding it in yourself. But I think from my perspective, I believe from my perspective uh, that when you say that that is something that you value, that you are borrowing from my worldview, because if atheism is true, you can't, I'd like you to give an accounting Mm -hmm. uh, for it. But you're going to probably just say you can't give an accounting for it, which is what you've said in the past. So can you briefly interact with that when I say that you're borrowing? Do you see why I say that you're borrowing? Oh, sure. Um, I accept that you see it that way. Um, that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, to be honest, I find the the claim that one person is borrowing from another person's worldview is a uh, trivial rhetorical claim. And it's just kind of meant to gain points in some way, shape, or form. That's how I perceive it. And the reason why I perceive it that way is because it's really where it comes down to brass tacks. And I think that we talked about this before. Your, from your perspective, your worldview encompasses mine because first God, then man. From my perspective, my worldview encompasses yours because first man, then God. And all of the attributes that you give to your God from my perspective, is merely um, a testament to human creativity. So you can account for the God that was made up by man, from my perspective, in such ways that you can feel that you're accounting for the creativity that exists. Because for you, God comes first. For me, man comes first. So I can just easily say that the logic that you're using and the creativity with which you're imbuing attributes to your God, you're borrowing from my worldview. Because from my worldview, I use human psychology and creativity as a component for the history of religion. Okay. So the but way it's I'm trivial. Gonna... Like, and that's why yeah. I don't use that argument because oh, okay. it doesn't mean anything. So is, is a trivial uh, rhetorical claim something that's not good? Is that something that we shouldn't use? I don't know about we, but I don't find it has value. Okay. So... Now, do you understand when when I say that you are borrowing from my worldview, mm-hmm. when you make moral claims and when you use morality, uh, when you know, just for example, uh, you, you say that you don't value a trivial rhetorical claim or you you do value intellectual integrity um, from my position. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that your worldview can account for anything having any value more or less. So how, why are you saying that these have value? Are you just arbitrarily picking some things have value, but you can't really give a reason why you, you have, uh, you value them. It depends on the circumstances and the thing that we're talking about. Now let's take a quick step back. Um, previously in our previous uh, discussion, I already admitted that I don't know where morality or ethics comes from. And you claim that you do. And, you know, it, even in the example that you just gave or the questions that you just um, posed, you are, you are placing value on your ability to account for presuppositions. Where did you learn that from? From who did you learn that there is value in being able to justify your presuppositions? God. For personal revelation or is it in the Bible? Uh, both. Okay. Where in the Bible does it say that? Uh, where, where in the Bible does it say that we ought to value, um, morality? No, no that being able to, being able to justify a moral stance has more value than, uh, admitting that you don't know where the morals come from. 
Well, okay. Now let's let's just take that to, and I'll give you an answer for that. Um, okay. Let's let's take that to. So so the Bible tells us that God exists mm-hmm. and He has given moral mandates. It tells us in Psalm fourteen one that the fool says in his heart there is no God, mm-hmm. and in Romans one it tells us that uh, they they suppress the truth of God. Now these are all sins. So if I would make the statement that I don't know where morality comes from, when God has told me. Uh, and has revealed in his special revelation, and he also tells us in that special revelation, that in general revelation, that he has revealed this to each and every one. Um, that uh, so so for me to go, that is my there's my justification because if I would not, uh, then I would be denying the revelation of God. Okay, we're talking about two different things. What you're talking about is the fact that you can uh, justify morality because of the existence of God versus the fact that I'm saying that I can't. What I'm talking about is where did you learn that being able to account for it has value, right? Sure. From your worldview, it's consistent that morals came from God, right? So that's your justification. But within that, that internal critique, where does it say that having a justification has value. And if you're going to argue against my worldview, where it's consistent to say that I don't have a justification, then you're, um, you're crossing a boundary of internal critique into external critique. And if you're going to go between internal and external, I think that you're misapplying the presuppositional apologetic. Okay. Um, so you don't see when I gave the def, when I, when I described to why I value, um, that I have a foundation uh, is because God has said that he is the foundation. I'm not asking Um, why you have the value. I'm asking where is it written that that value makes your worldview better than a worldview that doesn't account for morals? Well, okay. So do you think that when the Bible says it's a, it's foolish and and only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now I'm not, I'm not engaging in, uh, I hope, Christopher, you don't understand here. I'm, I'm just saying you the fool. Yeah. Oh, I'm no, not, no, no, I'm no. Not, I'm not on. saying that. Come on, Jason. Um, we have a better relationship than that. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but when, when, I, when I say that, you don't see that the Bible is very clear that to say that, to deny that grounding and that foundation is foolish, that that is not a better value than... It's not... The Bible nowhere, there's no text. If you're asking me to give you a text that says... It is of value to um, to account presuppose and account for morality with God. No, the Bible says repeatedly that, uh, like for example, in Judges, it talks about uh, men did what was right in their own eyes, and it it criticizes that. Well, that is to say that I'm not grounding my morality within God. I understand all of that, but now I'd like you to, you know. So, if you're looking for a specific text that says I. It's all through the Bible. It is, it, is, it is the entire assumption of all those things, that it's foolish to deny the foundation, and it is, it is, uh, it is, uh, it is good and it's pleasing to God to, mm-hmm. to appeal to him as the grounding for all of uh, morality and all the things that we ought to do. And as him as creator, we, we don't justify anything. I, there's nothing in with, within me that is autonomous. I'm wholly dependent upon God for every single aspect of my being in my life. Mm-hmm. And so to 
the Bible is very clear that it does not value that. Now, if you're looking, like I said, if you're looking to me to give you chapter and verse that that says that that is a value, my thing is is just read the entire Bible. The Bible is very clear on on that it values that and and does not value uh, those that say uh, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes and and that a fool says that there is no God. Mm-hmm. So, do you understand? Do you, I mean, or do you are you still saying that I'm not answering your question or? Uh, I think that um, I might not be asking it well. So allow me to try okay. a different technique. From my worldview, mm-hmm. presuppositions don't require justification because they are basal assumptions. The critique that I'm hearing from you against my worldview is that when I say that I uh, presuppose that morals exist, right? If I, you know, this is me stepping out of my moral nihilist framework, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to assume that I presuppose that people engage in behaviors that move towards goals and away from punishment, um, that it doesn't require justification. And it seems that your argument is, ha ha, you can't justify for it, but I can. Therefore, my worldview is better and yours is absurd. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me if somebody thinks that my worldview is absurd. That is also a trivial rhetorical move from my perspective. Now, I do understand that it bruises a lot of atheists' egos to have people tell them that, and that gets them all riled up, and that's where the most entertaining debates between precepts and atheists come from. And I sidestep that whole thing by just accepting that you think that my worldview is absurd because I can't do the thing that I'm not required to do from my worldview. Uh, let me actually quickly, uh, I'm Andrew just messaged me, so okay. I'm going to, uh, message him real quick. And then so I'm we'll... going to tell a joke while you do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. It's As a long... clean joke. Okay. That was going to say, <laughs> oh, no, no problem. <laughs> I don't, no problem. I don't know what to expect, you know, from your, your, yours, you know, your assumed morality there. So from my wackiness, what yeah. is socially appropriate, right? <laughs> All right. So why should you never write with a, a dull pencil? You want me to interact with this? No, you can just do It's a setup. Oh, okay. Just say why. Oh, uh, uh, why? <laughs> because it's pointless. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, I, I'll I'll chuckle with that a little bit later. <laughs> why, why? Why won't uh, alligators eat clowns? Because they taste funny. <laughs> um. Let, let's see here. I've got some really. My my wife hates my jokes. By the way, she thinks. Is it because they're bad? Um. Well, no. She hates them because they're just lame. Like, uh, is it? Is it? Is it further to town or by bus? Oh, nice. Or that's like a non sequitur. Like I'd rather walk to school than eat my lunch. Yeah. Do you walk to school or pack your lunch? Yeah. <laughs> How many yeah. gallons does it take to get to the city? Yeah. <laughs> is it colder in the mountain than it is in the summer? <laughs> Those are good. I want you to write them down and send them to me. They're like perfect non sequiturs. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> So, uh, okay, let's see here if he responds. I, I see um, he may have joined as a viewer. I'm not sure. Let's see here. Andrew, if um, if you are there, uh, just go ahead and click on the um, the link to join that I sent you, and you should be able to come in as a participant, and I will add you uh, to the discussion if you want to. I don't know if you're there or not. So let's see here. 
Uh, let me send another message here to okay to him. We are. So little Johnny is having problems in school and is a, his teachers and the guidance counselor want his parents to come in. So they come in and they have a meeting with Johnny and they want to understand, you know, like exactly where his problem lies. And so the teacher draws three like lollipop trees and puts a plus sign between them. And he goes, okay, Johnny, what's this plus this plus this? Johnny looks at it and goes, that's nine. And the guy's like, ah, oh, maybe I don't, maybe I didn't draw them well enough. So he draws a little bit of, you know, dirt under each of the trees. He's like, all right, Johnny, one more time. What's this plus this plus this? And Johnny goes, well, that's 99. The guy's like, man, maybe my artistic ability is really lame. So let me draw a little dog poop next to each one of them so that he knows that it's a tree. So he draws them and he goes, okay, Johnny, last time. What's this plus this plus this? And Johnny goes, that's 100. And finally, the counselor's like, well, you know, I, I don't know how you got those answers. Could you please, could you justify why you gave those answers? And so Johnny goes, well, yeah, tree plus tree plus tree is nine. Dirty tree plus dirty tree plus dirty tree is 99. And dirty tree and a turd and dirty tree and a turd and dirty tree and a turd is 100. <laughs> I like that. That's creative. <laughs> All righty. So time for the comedic show to end because uh, everybody's going to either drop off and never listen to this episode again. We're here all week. Try the veal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't know if Andrew's going to jump in or not, but if he does... Um, He's in. You we'll, have to broadcast him. We'll... we'll uh, uh, Andy, one second. I have to get my daughter situated. Oh, okay. But you do have to click on him and broadcast him for him to be seen and heard. There we go. There it is. All right, so he'll unmute himself when, when he gets the daughter situated. Okay, well, let's continue interacting while we're, uh, we're waiting for Andy. But, okay. um... So the last thing that I said was, um, you know, from my perspective, presuppositions don't need to be justified. And your critique against my worldview is that I don't have that justification. So that, that's kind of where I left off what we last said. Yeah, okay. So I, I did want to interact with that. And um, so what, what I would, my response to that would be is... Um, <clears throat> that the presuppositions that you presuppose mm -hmm. um, are the ones justified within my worldview. So they're the same ones. You have the ones that provide that are justified within mine. You just don't like the justification. So you don't have a from from my position. You don't have a logical reason, a rational reason to. For for example, let, let's. I, I want to jump back to the analogy that you and I had uh, discussed after the show the last time, which I wish we would have broadcasted, and then we didn't. So, mm -hmm. um, I'll use floor. the analogy: uh, the fifth floor. You know, the, uh, a guy. You know, I, I work. At, I, I'm here in Sarasota. I work on a tower. In fact, I'm on the seventh floor of the towers where I work. That's where my office is at. So, let's say I, I get into work, and uh, one of my fellow employees says that um, that uh, he he does not believe in any of the floors prior to the seventh floor, and he does not even believe there's a foundation to the building. And so my response to him would be, well, you can't even justify... Or, or, my first question is, are you on the seventh floor? Well, yeah, that's my presupposition. I, I simply assume that, but I don't have to justify my presupposition. And I say, okay, but you're on the seventh floor, right? Well, yeah, but 
I, I don't believe in the prior floors. Well, from my position, he is being inconsistent because he is he's agreeing that he's on the seventh floor, which requires what is a priori to that. But he doesn't, for for whatever reason, um, he he doesn't want to admit that the foundation and the previous six floors exist. Mm-hmm. And so what he's left with is with a building hanging in midair, with with no um, justification uh, for it. So um, so that is my for, from from my position, Christopher. That is how I see what you are doing. Mm-hmm. And so you and I have interacted on that particular uh, example before, so uh, I don't sure. know if you want to respond to that. Yeah, So, and I've been able to kind of ruminate about it a little bit. <clears throat> so the first question I would have is, um, why is being consistent about that uh, of value? Well, I mean, and that's, <laughs> that's the answer that, you know, you have to answer. You know, if, if you say, well, you know, that just doesn't matter to me, you know that is that is something that that you have to deal with within your own heart and within your, your own mind. Because from my position, Christopher, this is a um, and, and and this comes from my worldview, Christopher. And this is and I have these discussions because I honestly I I, I really care about uh, those that uh, do not trust in Christ as their Savior. Because it is my heart's desire that you come to know Him the way that I know Him mm-hmm. and. And so this is something that you have to, you know, and any other atheist out there, you have to think about this. What is the reason why I don't want to value um, that which would justify my presuppositions? What, why is it that I don't? Is there, is there some other reason? Do I have a rational reason why I don't? Mm-hmm. Or is there something else? Is there another reason why I don't? And that's something that I don't necessarily. If you, if you want to respond to that, you can or you you can't. But that's just something that you know. I'm a I'm a Christian, so I preach the gospel. So sure. so that is something that I'll um, I will always do. So um, and so I, don't take a, I don't take offense to that. Yeah. I think that so, it, it is consistent for you, uh, mm-hmm. and I I view it as you caring, as a, as a version of an uh, emergent property of your compassion. So okay. you, you won't hear me arguing against you preaching the gospel. Okay. Okay. So what is what is your uh, just response to to the fact that um, uh, you know you say what why why you know do you have to value that? Do you have a response to that, or that's just uh, do you do you think you have rational reasons for why you don't value that, or you just choose not to value it? Um, so I'm going to say something that is not going to sound. You'll get a chuckle out of it. I'll just put it like that. Okay. It is uh, it is a basal assumption of mine that there are going to be certain topics that seem inconsistent with my goals. So my inability to understand um, or my inability to know or my lack of knowledge about the origins of certain things that I just accept exist is consistent with my worldview. To put it differently, inconsistencies about certain topics are consistent within my worldview because I already presuppose that those inconsistencies will exist. To put it a different way, I'm a hypocrite. I try to be as less 
of a hypocrite as least hypocritical as possible. Well, but I, welcome but to I the think club. that exactly. But I think that all humans are. You know what I mean? Like I think that humans um, shouldn't be killed unnecessarily. Well, taken in certain uh, avenues, I will have views that are inconsistent with that. I think that animals should be treated humanely until you kill them for me to eat. You know, like so I'm hypocritical on the obtuse extractions of where some of these topics will go. And I accept that. And I try to be as least hypocritical as possible. But and, I accept that I am a hypocrite and I'm I'm fine with that. And going back to gospel preaching, I mean uh, the thing that I would want to make sure that anyone listening to this and even you Christopher and I think you already know this but um, it's not that I'm saying, as, as a Christian, we don't say that, well, I'm saved because you atheists are hypocrites and I'm not a hypocrite. Um, I say that I am saved by the grace of God and God has saved me in spite of my hypocrisy that I have lived over my life. Now, as a Christian, I, uh, I mortify that sin. That's a biblical term coming from Romans chapter 8. But I, I, I try to put to death that, that, that um, natural... Uh, flesh, what we call our flesh, are my natural tendency to want to be hypocritical, to want to be able to disguise uh, those those things from others that my inconsistencies. And so I put those to death daily, and I I, I try to live a life that is glorifying to Christ and to God. But <clears throat> have I been a hypocrite, and am I still a hypocrite even as a Christian? Yeah, often, more often than I would even want to admit to anyone. But but those things, as a Christian, I, I know that those hypocrisies are under the blood of Christ and, and that he has saved me uh, from those. So, now, so, so yeah. that, brings, that brings it back to my point. Those hypocrisies, those inconsistencies, they exist between both of our worldviews. So whether or not I have consistencies or are consistent or am hypocritical or have inconsistencies, that's not really an, a critique against my worldview. Well, I want to I jump back and interact with that because I, you may have misunderstood me a little bit. Um, I'm not saying that I don't live sometimes inconsistent, which is a sin within my worldview. Um, I don't believe the Christian worldview is inconsistent at all. I believe that it is completely cohesive, coherent, and consistent. But do I always, as a fallen human being, as a creature that uh, has a fallen nature, do I always live consistent with that worldview? And the answer is that I don't, but I don't justify that inconsistency. I am mandated by my worldview to repent and turn from that inconsistency. Well, so, I, was, I was addressing so, the analogy, right? You, because the first yeah. question you asked, uh, if I were, t from your perspective, I'm standing on the seventh floor, yeah. I acknowledge that I'm on the seventh floor, but I can't account for the foundation or floors one through six, and that is, uh, that is inconsistent. Yep. Yeah. That, that's my answer. Yep. Yeah. It's inconsistent. I accept those inconsistencies. I don't have an answer for the existence of things that I observe. And and so as a Christian, what we what we do is this is this is how we as Christians live. We acknowledge that the foundation and the previous floors are there. We acknowledge that God exists. But whenever we sin, whenever we go against what God has mandated for us to do as what we ought to do, whenever we go against that, what we are doing is we're actually functioning like an atheist. In that moment, we're actually saying, no, I will not conform myself to what God has said I ought to do, but I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to act like 
the floors don't exist beneath me. I'm going to act like God doesn't exist. That does not mean that our worldview is not consistent. That I'm not arguing. I'm not yeah. arguing that it is. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. You, right. I just I, want to clarify and, that. Oh, I know. And and one other thing I want to clarify is um, and please excuse if this sounds more challenging than I mean it to be. Um, in our discussions, I haven't critiqued your worldview once, right? Because that's not, I, I'm not compelled to do that in any way, shape, or form. But I'm happy to answer questions from you who has a critical perception of my worldview. So when I explain myself, it's not to say I'm like this and you're not. I'm not obligated to um, persuade you out of your worldview or into mine. I'm merely answering questions about what I think and why I think it. Um, <laughs> so I... I don't don't take this, but uh, I think you did challenge me on providing um, a justification for the fact that I value uh, that that having a foundation. You asked me for a biblical justification for that. Oh yeah, but that wasn't to say that it was wrong. Okay. I was trying to I was trying to point out that the particular technique that you were using um, was ex was more external than it was internal, based on my understanding of how presuppositional apologetics works. So I wasn't saying that your worldview is incorrect. I was making a very specific critique against a particular move that you made. Yeah. Okay. No, I understand With, that. You know, within an argument. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's see here. Is uh, Andy? Uh, Andy, are you uh, are you there? Do you need me to unmute you? Um, I think he should have control. I think that once you broadcast him, only he can unmute himself. Oh, okay. He's looks like he's back. Okay. Um, you want to go ahead and just unmute yourself, Andy? You'd yeah. Can Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Loud and clear. Yeah. I. I you know, I was funny because I was up doing something and I just happened to log on and then I saw your, you know, maybe ten to fifteen minutes ago, I saw your emails come through and I was like, oh no, did I miss? <laughs> no, that was my fault. It was my, already admitted. my fault. But the fact that you're here is like wonderful because because this is what you and he, the conversation between you and he is what he planned. <laughs> just yeah. the date wrong. Yeah, it's just yeah, I had I, the wrong date. When we and Andy, we can still I still want to do this with you uh, next Saturday. So uh, uh, Christopher and I have had uh, a good discussion here for um, about an hour. But uh, I don't know. Have you listened to uh, any of our discussions so far, Andy? Yeah, I've listened to some of it, and I'm I'm familiar with Christopher. You know, I'm not a guy who gets on a lot of podcasts, but I've definitely seen Christopher around on YouTube and watched several of his videos and so forth. So I'm familiar. I'm not terribly familiar with, you know, everything, but I've watched a fair share of your videos, especially on like Bible thumping wingnut and so forth. So, oh, well, I'm um, flattered, and it's a pleasure yeah. to meet you, Andy. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, Andy, did you um? Want to maybe we can so we can actually uh, fit the description of the podcast briefly. Did uh, and I talked to uh, <laughs> I talked to Christopher about this uh, initially that we might uh, go into the discussion a little bit, talk about Christian uh, science, and I and I think you have uh, from our interaction uh, over email and back and forth that uh, you do have uh, um, uh, you know a background uh, within scientific fields, and so what. What is uh, let, let's maybe kind of shift the discussion here, and it's actually kind of nice that uh, that Christopher is on here, so he can kind of interact with us a little bit on yeah, some. Of yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It, it it'd be kind of cool to have a trilateral discussion here. Yeah. Um. So. Um. What uh, it, from from uh, looking at evolution, Andy? What uh, which uh, Christopher and I have 
have previously discussed this. He does, you know, believe in the the uh, you know naturalistic evolutionary process. Um, what is your critique from a scientific perspective? What is one of uh, one of the critiques that you would have from now? We've been talking presuppositionally um, here, but now going kind of shifting um, the conversation here to to Ooh, some more scientific, evidential based things. Um, uh, Andy, what is some of your critiques of evolution? Sure. Um, actually, in some ways, I would say my my critique is somewhat presuppositional as well, um, in the sense that, uh, like for example, my my undergraduate degrees in physics, and my master's degree in electrical engineering. Not that that makes me an expert on everything, but I have formal scientific training. And one thing, I mean, just to make put it more in the frame of a story. Um, when I was going to undergrad and I had my senior year, I took an astrophysics course. That was the last course I took. And by the way, I just for your audience, I've, I've been a Christian pretty much my entire life. Um, I don't have any recollections of not being a Christian, actually. But um, the uh, and we could go into that at some other hangout, Jason, if you're interested in talking about that too. But um, on this topic, the uh, I took an astrophysics course, and the thing that really threw me um, into into really questioning a lot of things. And by the way, I am a professional scientist, as is my vocation. That um, the air bars that I saw uh, when I was being presented with the evidence, particularly even just in astrophysics, the air bars are massive. And, um, you know, when I was taking this course from an astronomer, cosmologist, and I just couldn't get a good answer as to, to how we know things very certainly in, in observational science, I think one thing you and Jason and I have talked about, too, is I think there's a general misunderstanding for the layperson, somebody without scientific training, for example, and they, they kind of lump historical science... Uh, experimental science and, and something akin to like a mathematical proof all into the same bucket and just call that science. And my big problem with that is that the rigor associated in those different disciplines is, is massive and our level of certainty about what we're doing in those different areas is massive. And I think it takes, you know, for someone to throw out that evolution is true um, when I'm talking to other unbelievers, for example, it takes me so long to unpack what their presuppositions are about science and how much explanatory power it has in these different areas. Um, you know, our certainty in Newton's laws is very different than our certainty that we have in, for example, evolution, biological evolution. When I'm talking evolution, I'm talking what they would call macroevolution or uh, Evolution from a common ancestor. Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree with that completely. I think there's a massive disconnect uh, among a lot of the just, you know, people walking the street and that, you know, went through it, took, took some high school science classes, is they don't understand the distinction between, yeah, historical science and that which is observable science. Um, the objective uh, observable sciences are are very different than 
the assumption based and uh, and and when I when I say uh, especially with evolution, uh, all evolutionary propositions that are said to be true um, begin with a an assumption of naturalism, which is not justified; it is simply assumed. And Christopher, do you have any sort of response? Do you see the distinction there between historical and observable science? And do you see how often there is a fallacy there with uh, meshing and equivocating the two? Well, I, I do believe uh, two things. <clears throat> I do believe that there is a dovetailing between historical and what you consider historical and observational science. Within science, those terms are rarely used. Um, so I also feel that the scientific literacy of the general population is paltry. And I am an advocate for a better science uh, education via formal and informal uh, science communications. So... Yeah, people, um, and the worst is, as an atheist, hearing atheists use uh, science as a bludgeon that it is completely flaccid at. Christopher, quick question for you, too. One thing that I notice as well, um, which kind of drives me a little bit nuts, is I think there's a been a proliferation of the celebrity scientist. By mm -hmm. that I mean, like, the, the, the Bill Nye and the... Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, is that mm -hmm. his name? Yeah. Who, who are really, they're trying to create a celebrity for themselves uh, on television. And they take these extremely difficult topics, say for example in astrophysics, where um, our understanding and knowledge of these things is quite coarse and much more uncertain and they present it in a way that, and they're trying to dumb it down for the layman, but the layman doesn't really fully appreciate how noisy this data is. Um, and I'm speaking of generalities here. I mean, we'd have to get into specifically what I'm talking about. But I can tell you, as a general statement, the, the data that we have is extremely noisy. Um, and it's, it's, they, it's hard to fully appreciate that by watching an hour PBS special, and I think that's where a lot of this disconnect comes from, or, or what you see in say a uh, high school or, or grammar school textbook on the subject. Um, as far as historical versus um, experimental versus uh, you know stuff you do in theoretical physics, the um, the thing the interesting thing there is I. When you said it's not handled in or discussed in science, what what do you mean by that? Because my experience is that it's it's very much understood what what type of science regime we're working in. I feel like I'm on an elevator. <laughs> here, I got my daughter here. Hold on one second. Let me mute. Mm, I was getting into that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so he, uh, he asked me uh, about, uh, so what I said was the terms historical and observational science are not used a lot in science, um, right? So I manage, uh, I engage in psychophysical science, right? I study the psychology of the sense of smell, olfaction. When we use um, evolutionary models as hypotheses that we test on observable behaviors, in our papers, we don't go, the historical science says this, and that's the evolutionary component. And then the research that we did is this observational science. That's, that distinction is fluid. 
it is assumed that the whole of science is based on precedents that have been set by other uh, experimenters and our attempts to rely on them as explanatory and predictive models. So that's what I meant. The, the actual terms, historical versus observational, as though they're two distinct things, that's, um, that's more of a trope for creation scientists. Um, I agree that it's, uh, it's a little bit... It's, it's never, like, if you sit down and read something in the literature, it's not going to say, we are now in the regime of historical science, or we are now in the regime of experimental science. Um, the, the thing is, though... Regime is, sounds so military. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I get what you're saying, though. The, the thing is, though, is, for example, if we're performing an experiment where um, you can't can closely control the parameters and you're say for example you're digging up a fossil mm -hmm. that you, you don't know what the initial conditions of that experiment were and you can't reproduce it um, so you're stuck kind of in this area of, of to some extent speculation about what what the conditions were by which this thing was fossilized or and so forth. Well, well, let's stick let's stick with that specific example, finding a fossil. One person finding one fossil obviously cannot be reproduced, right? But depending on what claims are made about that fossil, um, with an understanding of geology and um, tectonics and uh, age of uh, layers, right? If you, the claim being made is that this fossil is whatever. It, they wanted to date it. Maybe that's the claim they want to make. Well, okay, using the model that exists of uh, what the what the hell is it called? What the heck is it called? My apologies. Sorry, um, I can't think of it. I'm not a geologist, but uh, the model that they use to age the layers. If they say it's in level X, Devonian, right, and they age it at whatever from several different sources, and then in another place where their understanding of this level being Devonian, um, they find another fossil and they age it, or they age the, the, the soil around it, whichever, and they come up with a similar within error bars date, then it can be reproduced. That particular claim, there can be reproducible evidence for that particular claim, and, and I'm just using age as an example. If they're claiming that it is part of a different species, well then finding other, uh, let's say it's a human, you know, or a, a pre-human, or you know, uh, whatever, whatever species you want to you want to use, whatever animal. Um, if there are other um, bones in that area, then the assumption that is made is being they're they're reproducing that the bones of this animal died at this time when they in other uh, in other areas where this layer is being investigated are finding the same thing. And that way it is reproducible. Sure, but I don't think it's... It is a different regime than what we do when we're doing science in a lab, for example, um, where I but, can... Uh, it's very different. I just want to address the way that you're phrasing things. When we do science in a lab... Uh, the example that I just gave is a wonderful example of how fluid observational versus historical science are. When a fossil is found in a certain layer, 
and the samples are given to a chemistry lab for a GCMS. There is both observation of the fossil being found, which has a historical context, and then the analysis of the samples by the chemists is a observational research in real time component. It is fluid. The historical and observational um, dichotomy that I hear frequently, I've just given an example where that is completely fluid and those distinctions are arbitrary. Uh, okay. Hold well, on, though. One well, second. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say the one key thing, though, there's an attribute here that that makes a big difference, and that's reproducibility. Mm -hmm. um, if you can reproduce, so for example, in a lab, I can control the initial conditions, and then I can perform that experiment over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Even in the scenario you're talking about, I can't reproduce it. And that's a key key attribute that, in my mind, differentiates those two regimes. Or I don't know what term you want to use, that regime, but oh, two, no, two different categories. It, um, but I can give you two examples where it is reproducible. Send the samples to different labs. If they come to a, a conclusion, and it's going, they're going to, there's going to be variance. Error bars are um, they're inevitable. It, in fact, if everyone came back with the exact same data from several different sources, that would be questionable. So, you 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 can reproduce the measurement. Yes, that I agree with. But mm -hmm. you can't reproduce the event. Well, I just gave an example of how you could. So there's two levels of reproducibility. Well, let me let me jump in here for one second. So uh, the thing that I want you to recognize, Christopher, mm -hmm. and, uh, is that while we while we can take samples and we can take them to a lab, you can send them to multiple labs, and we're going to conclude that it has this uh, these type of minerals uh, mm -hmm. encompass the particular fossil, and we can come out with we can come out with uh, you know different conclusions and maybe they're even confirmed in multiple scientific labs mm -hmm. that though is empirical observable science what is then assumed with historical assumptions about historical sciences sure. is that that particular layer of rock was laid down at a particular uh, point in time mm -hmm. which they simp is based upon a naturalistic assumption and it is not it is not confirmed because we look at the layers completely differently. Now we're looking at the same thing. So as a Christian scientist, I would take that same fossil and send it to a lab, and I would also discover the same minerals. Mm -hmm. I would discover that it is in the same type of layer that maybe another fossil in another part of the world is in. Sure. Um, however, I'm going to look at that layer differently. I'm going to look at those layers as, for me, I'm a young earth creationist, so I look at them as being laid down uh, by a global flood, mm -hmm. and it's the, the standard uh, stratification that results as a result of uh, liquefaction, liquefaction of uh, sedimentary, uh, sediments and things like that. They will, they will uh, layer themselves, and I forget the, the actual term for that, but uh, they will layer themselves as a result. And also, there are things within the geographic, uh, geological layers mm -hmm. that is inconsistent with the view that they were formed over, uh, as, which is, is re result of the naturalistic assumption, that they're, sim that they're simply laid down over millions of years when we th see things like polystrate fossils, fossils that go up through multiple layers, uh, that refutes the the view that this layer or that these layers were put down slowly 
over it doesn't over, it doesn't refute that's a it's a misuse of the word refute it 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 is an anomaly that is explained by geologists you you may or may not accept those explanations but um they don't refute the model of geology that exists okay but let me but let me go back to the the naturalistic assumption that is is part of this is that what what tends to happen is people look at this uh, these historical models that are put in place by by scientists uh, making basically guesses of what has happened in the past and they make certain guesses and, no, you're, you're, and you're using I have to interrupt that rhetorical move of saying that scientists are making guesses is is horribly incorrect right well as colloquially colloquially speaking guesses are neither here nor there in science, using the scientific method that is appropriate for each field, these are educated guesses via hypotheses that have predictive and explanatory power. Those but, are not the same guesses as the way you just use the word. Okay, well that, that's fine, but I, I'm going to still say that it is, uh, it is a guess based upon a naturalistic assumption. They assume, they make the assumption that the universe and the earth is not, not the result of supernatural creation, so they simply assume naturalism. So because their assumption is naturalism at the beginning, they then have to conclude that this is the result of uh, long periods of time over that they ha that has to be the now. And then what they tend to do is they'll say they they assume naturalism. They then result in the geological layer system, and then they conclude that naturalism is true. That's begging the question. That is that is concluding with what you start with. The when you assume supernaturalism, uh, it's also when you when you assume Christian supernaturalism, you also have an explanation for things like the geological layers. And so then we do the same things in observable science. We take we take fossils as Christians and we analyze them empir uh, with um, empirical science and uh, and observationally within laboratories, and we come up with the same results. But we are going to interpret those results mm -hmm. differently based upon the assumptions that we start with when we look at it historically. And so that is the distinction that we have to make. So a Christian scientist is going to have the same lab results as what an evolutionary scientist is. The, the question then there is, is what are you going to, what, what system are you going to run those results through? And the Christian runs it through his supernatural worldview, and the atheist runs it through his presupposed naturalistic worldview. And so bo all, both of us, no one comes neutrally to the evidence. I've, yeah, yeah, I'd point out a couple things about what Jason said. Um, okay. the, the, what's interesting is that... W I, I think it's really important to understand, for example, if you're talking about things in a lab that you can reproduce at will, okay? Mm -hmm. Reproduce at will is, I guess, the key. So um, those things that, let's say, for example, Newton law, Newton's laws, those things coming at, at it with a naturalistic worldview um, appears to be the correct view, meaning that the uh, we believe that the universe does follow certain laws. We don't think that, uh, and, and there's certain models we can create 
uh, mathematically to describe those things uh, that, for example, if we throw a ball up and, and it comes down, we don't just say, God made it happen. Okay, we believe that there's actual laws that God made that are causing these things to happen. The, the, and in those areas of science, there's pretty much no disagreement between, say, the Christian worldview and the naturalistic worldview. Where the divergence comes, I think, mostly is in this area where you can't readily reproduce the experiment. If we could go back in time and recreate the initial conditions and prove a biogenesis happened without uh, happened through purely naturalistic means, or went back in time and, and showed these things, and, and could do it over and over and over again in a time machine. Uh, I, I don't think there would be any debate. The, the problem is, is that we can't do that, and and that's where, to some extent, um, I think what ends up happening in my discussions with uh, with people who are atheists, especially, is that. I put my evidence out for why I believe this worldview. He puts out his evidence, and it's 21 moves to checkmate, or not checkmate, stalemate. And uh, and then it's like, okay, now we got to examine the presuppositions, which goes kind of to where, uh, you know, what Jason was talking about before. Uh, so I've been taking notes. There's a, there's a lot of things that uh, I can address, but I'm going to try to be pithy and conversational. Um, it seems like the core of what we're talking about in the philosophy of science is um, what is being addressed, uh, what can be addressed as instrumentalism versus realism, right? And for, for people that are watching that are unfamiliar with these terms, um, scientific realism is the notion that the evidences that are in the hypotheses and the theories of the paradigms of each of the, and that was a very layered sentence right there, um, of the different fields of science uh, reflect reality. It is what is real. Scientific evidence is what reality is. Right? That's that stance. Instrumentalism is, well, reality consists of a lot of different things. And one of, the th one of the ways to look at it is with the instrument of science. And the results of the instrument of science should be taken in a, in a, a larger and more robust sphere of what reality is. Right? It seems that uh, your, the, the arguments that I've heard are coming from the notion that an atheist thinks, all, all atheists think, oh, let me not phrase it like that. Your arguments are against scientific realism. Right. Whereas all you need to do is shift your philosophy to science as an instrument, and the things that you're talking about, uh, they're not really arguments against it. Right. So let, let me give you an example. Science as an instrument um, has criteria. Right. The example that I use is a football bat. Right. There's no such thing as a football bat. So, uh, science is an instrument to give natural explanations to natural phenomena. Let's call that football. Supernatural explanations use supernatural variables to explain any phenomena. Let's call that baseball. There's no such thing as a football bat, right? Combining the supernatural explanations with the natural explanations means that you're just you're, you're entering a game with one set of rules while that game follows a different set of rules. Does that make it right or better or whatever? 
No, it's just that's how the instrument is used, right? A hammer is used to drive in nails. It can be used as a coffee table leg, but that's a misapplication of that instrument. A rake is used to rake leaves. You could stir your coffee with it, but that's a misuse of that instrument. In your toolbox of what is important to answer certain questions about reality, use a hammer to drive in a nail, use a screwdriver to uh, drive in a screw. Don't use a screwdriver on a nail, and don't use a hammer on a screw. It's really that simple from my perspective, because I, uh, depending on the topic within science, in some areas I'm a realist up to a point, and then in other areas I'm an instrumentalist. I hope that made sense. Yeah, then quick question then. So is, your, are, are what, is what you're saying then is that, um, I'm trying to unpack that a little bit. Are, are you I, saying yeah, that... You let me talk for a long time, so that's your fault. <laughs> the, uh, is what you're saying that, um, like, like for example, uh, in a Christian worldview, we presume that the natural laws are in effect pretty much almost all of the time. There's mm -hmm. been some very distinct times in history where from a, from a say, Christian worldview, we believe that God intervened or broke those laws. Mm -hmm. um, but, however, we don't have any way to... Um, we, we assume that the laws are going to be in effect pretty much all the time, and therefore that's the, the method that we're using. Uh, to go forward. Is that kind of what I'm trying to figure out how to go ahead. <laughs> Ask your question one more time. Like if you could fit it on a bumper sticker, how would you phrase it? Yeah, so are you saying that that the Christian is trying to use uh, is always viewing things through a supernatural lens? Oh no, no, no. I mean, uh, I'm the only atheist in my lab. So, I mean, Christians make wonderful scientists. Right, but in the science that I'm pursuing, and what is commonly uh, understood as science, there's a methodological naturalism, and that's not necessarily a criteria. But yeah, all right. To answer your question, you could provide answers as a Christian using supernatural variables. That's not what's understood as science currently. You could use the label of science, but that's that's that's. Uh, a little bit different. In talking about methodological naturalism, there's a couple different approaches, at least a couple different approaches. Some people would say you shouldn't allow um, approaches that violate methodological naturalism into science. So let's use the Olympics as an example. People that don't use methodological naturalism shouldn't even be allowed in the Olympics. They're not playing by the rules. There's another belief that, please, Use whatever method you want. If you think that you have a robust um, methodological supernaturalism and you can provide models and theories that are just as explanatory and predictively powerful, you're allowed into the Olympics. But as it has gone so far within the realm of science, the people who are allowed into those Olympics don't win medals. The gold, silver, and bronze go towards the people with natural uh, methodological that use methodological naturalism that provide natural explanations for natural phenomena. I'm not saying that I adhere to that last one. I just spent more time talking about it. So, I think that kind of addresses like you can come up with an alternate explanation using supernatural variables. Currently, 
that model doesn't have a lot of capital in what is known as science. So do with that what you will. You might you might say that the rules are rigged against supernatural variables, or this, that, or the other, or you might reframe uh, what is currently uh, considered scientific to be supernatural. This is this is what's going on. So um, Andrew, I think dropped off for just a little bit, so I'll yeah. I'll interact with that briefly. So <clears throat> so uh, you said basically methodological uh, methodological naturalism is currently the only. Uh, you know, game in town, basically, and if... Oh, no, it's it's not it's, the only game in town. If, if Well, it's the one that you said is currently most permitted into the Olympics. It's uh, the one that's been the most pragmatic. It's the one that's so, given the most robust predictive and explanatory power to theories. So the, the question I would have mm -hmm. um, for that is, is, is why is that the correct uh, one, and how does methodological naturalism account for laws that govern the universe. So, uh, for example, you have to assume these laws within methodological naturalism. You have to assume that they exist and that they're... Uh, you have to assume induction, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but how does methodological naturalism account for the laws that they have to acknowledge uh, and they even investigate um, how do they account for those laws within that assumed uh, methodology? Why? Why is? Why is? Because here, as uh, often, creationism or biblical supernaturalism mm -hmm. is misrepresented. It's it's said, well, you know, everything that happens is just simply God doing it. You know, if a ball drops, it's because God pushes it down. Uh, it's no, we actually believe there are laws that govern the universe. We even have Jeremiah 31. We have uh, Genesis 8:22. That God is the one who has established these natural laws, and laws um, come from a governor, one who institutes them, mm -hmm. and that biblical supernaturalism can not only account for the naturalistic laws by which we can then do empirical science. Um, but, and then methodological naturalism, which I, I believe is <laughs> right now really the only, the, the main game that is permitted within the scientific, uh, realm. But it, in my, from my opinion, it is simply assumed as, uh, as the, the best game in town and it's not proven to be the best game in town. And where I say it's not the best game in town is because it cannot even account for the laws that it has to rely on in order to be able to do uh, methodological science. Okay, so um, science in and of itself is not philosophy, and you're asking theological and philosophical questions of science. So the scientific process is not a philosophical system? Um, it borrows from philosophy. There is a separate field called the philosophy of science. Uh, science, but the, what we consider philosophy, scientists don't sit around and think about abduction, induction, deduction, all that stuff. The method of science is um, laid and underpinned by philosophy, but it's, it's not the philosophical endeavor that you just put forth. So, um, so there's no philosophical assumptions within scientific inquiry? Oh, goodness, yes, but there are assumptions, right? And admittedly, 
Sure. So uh, if you want to, if you want to consider a paradigm theory. So is naturalism? Let me interact with that there real quick though. So okay. is naturalism actual science or is it a philosophy? Uh, it is it science or uh, it depends on how you define it, right? Naturalism. There is naturalism, which is a philosophy, which I think is like the Jamesian Deweyan um, branch of philosophy. Um, does but once again, nature within science is, I'll admit that it is an assumption. And to answer your question, what uh, accounts for methodological naturalism being um, the game in town, what, what proves that naturalism, methodological naturalism is effective is the, the, the proof is in the pudding. It is that the, um, the theories that are generated from it have predictive and explanatory power. But they're going to change, and we accept that. The okay. theories, that is. Um, I believe we have um, uh, another person has joined the broadcast here. Um, evolution false. Uh, what? Uh, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, did you want to interact a little bit with uh, Christopher? Can't hear you. We can't hear you. Try to mute and unmute yourself. Sometimes that works. All right, how about now? Perfect. Yep. It worked. Oh, okay, good, good. Now, you said that science is not philosophy. Isn't science a division of natural philosophy? It is born out of natural philosophy. So the, yeah. the term scientist uh, came into uh, existence, I think, in the early 19th century. And before that, you know, like Newton wasn't a scientist. He was considered a natural philosopher. Yeah, so how can you... Um, how can you disassociate science from philosophy when the core foundation of science is the uniformity of nature? Well, I'm not. I'm not different. Um, what's the word that you use? Disconnecting. I'm not disconnecting them. Uh, I think that science relies on philosophy. Right. That doesn't mean that it. Okay. Is then it's inherently philosophical. Then. I agree that it's philosophical. Okay. Good. Okay. I think that was different than what you said earlier, Christopher. No, uh, I said it that it is, it is not is different. I said that it, it is not philosophy. Sure it is. Okay. I, I okay. see it differently. Let me ask you this I, question. Is the uniformity of nature the bedrock foundation of empiricism? Bedrock and foundation. The uniformity of nature is an assumption that is made for the theories that are generated. Uh, that's, not, that's not an answer to the, the question it, I asked. It is an answer. Is the uniformity of nature the bedrock philosophical assumption of science? You have a lot of qualifying terms. Uh, the bedrock foundation of the philosophy mm -hmm. of empiricism. Let me let me ask it this way, Christopher. Could you do science if you didn't assume uniformity? Probably not, and depending on the field. Okay, okay so could you tell me how you could do any empirical science without the, the starting assumption of the uniformity of nature? Um, I'll, let's say that I can't. So okay, good. So that means that science is inherently from the get-go philosophical. Hey, can we? I want to. I want to pause here for a little bit, Christopher. I think uh, I feel. I feel like we're ganging up on you. <laughs> oh no, this is this is fine. I don't want to. I mean, we're very polite. 
No, 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 no. I, I understand that, but there's three Christians in here, and there's only one atheist. So, oh, yeah. uh, so, so long as it doesn't turn into like interrupty, overlapping conversation, I'm, I'm yeah. fine. I'm, this I just is wanted to make sure me. you're fine with it, Christopher. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, there's been no atheists that have joined, and so I, I just want to make sure you're cool with it. So, oh, absolutely. Proceed. Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure you were fine, Christopher. So, uh, to to your point, evolution. Uh, do you prefer to be called evolution false, or do you have a? Yeah, that's that's fine. Okay. Um, you can just again, call me EF. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I wasn't claiming that science is not philosophical. I said that it wasn't philosophy. Right? Philosophy is a field separate from science. Science is on the back of philosophy. Right? But it is not philosophy proper. So if, if your questions are to, to get um, answers for me about whether science is philosophical, my answer will always be yes. Is it the same as? Is it the field of philosophy? No, it is not. That's that's the statement that I made. I said science and philosophy. In Christopher's defense, I, I think what he was hitting at is that you know when you're doing science actively, you're not thinking about the philosophical underpinnings of what you're doing while you're doing it. So when I'm in a lab taking data, I'm not thinking about the philosophical underpinnings of what I'm doing. Is that kind of where you're going with that? or? Yeah. So, um, so, Christopher, you're an atheist. I am. Okay. How do you define atheism? Um, atheism is not having a belief in God. Okay, good. Okay, so you're defining atheism as a lack of belief? No, it's also an active belief. It is, it is having justified and warranted beliefs that there is no God. Okay, so atheism, is, does the way you define atheism, is it propositional? What do you mean by propositional? Okay, is it a mere state of mind where you have an absence of an affirmation of God, or is it propositional in that there is no God? I'm going to go with that there is no God. I think the, oh, okay. I think the lacking God... Uh, or lack theist position, uh, or ir, uh, irreligious or a-religious or whatever. I think that's a little bit separate than atheism. I think that atheism is a positive claim. If that okay, helps. good. Um, could you give me one good reason that atheism is true as you have expressed it as a proposition? Uh, um, good reason to whom? To anyone. Uh, I don't know any everyone. So I have, I have reasons that make sense to me. If you're asking me why I believe what I believe, I'll go through them with you. What are the reasons that make sense to you, Christopher? The question is, can you give me a good re one good reason that atheism is true as expressed as a proposition? Atheism is true. Um, I think that we're having two different conversations. So I have a belief. That belief is uh, atheistic, that there is no God. I can give you reasons why I believe what I believe. But if you're um, asking me to give a definition of why atheism is true and should be adhered to by everybody, that's uh, I, that's a different that's conversation. That's what I said. I but said you, you have presented true. You, you have presented atheism as being propositional, as opposed to a mere state of mind. Is that correct? Um, I have to admit you're using terms that I'm not familiar with. So uh, I'm saying that atheism is a positive claim. That's mm -hmm. that's the language Good. that resonates with me. That's a proposition then. Okay. Unless you're unless you're merely referring to your your mental state. 
Now, you, atheism is the proposition. So when you say proposition, do you mean a proposition about reality and its truth value of comporting with reality? I'm saying that a proposition is a, is a, is a positive statement mm -hmm. about a certain state of affairs as opposed to a mere state of mind where you have an absence of belief. Yeah, you, I have to admit you're using terms that I'm just not familiar with. Um, I'm not using very technical terms. Um, regardless, there are terms that I'm not familiar with uh, interacting. Okay, do you know what a proposition is? Not formally. Okay, well I'm just using it in loose sense. By the way, I'd like to ask the host to remove the person uh, who just came in. He's a known stalker of mine, and they just come in to disrupt the conversation or not broadcast him. Um, so, um, excuse me about that. So, uh, Christopher, mm -hmm. is it your position that there is no God? It is my belief that there is no God. Okay, but that's that's propositional, correct? I guess. Once again, you're okay. Good that there is no I, God. I am proposing. I guess in the loose sense, I am proposing that there is no God. Okay, good. Can you give me a, one good reason that that is true? Which God? Uh, it does. It, we're not discussing uh, personas of God. In fact, that is kind of a, a in, in all due respect, a dodge answer. Because I no. could give you a I could give you a minimalist uh, definition of God here. The, a minimalist definition I could give you for God is mm -hmm. God could be defined as a non-contingent entity that possesses the attributes of consciousness um, and intelligence and uh, produce the initial conditions of the universe. Okay. Okay, and that that would encompass uh, a whole range of God concepts, such as the Abrahamic, uh, monotheistic mm -hmm. concepts. I'm not really uh, discussing any particular persona. I'm just talking about a minimalist definition of a God, a non-contingent, intelligent entity that produced the initial conditions of the universe. Okay, so, is is do you consider it interactive? It might be. Doesn't have to be. Okay, so my um, my justifications for a minimal um, uh, minimal god, like a prime mover, like a deistic god, would be different than any particular interactive god. So that's why I asked. It's not a dodge. Depending on the answer that you give, I, uh, depending on how you want me to address it, I will definitely give. I'm not dodging giving an answer. I just want to give an answer that is most accurate to your question. So a deistic God is much more difficult to provide proofs for. Um, Abrahamic gods, I have a, a different set of uh, justifications that I would use. So Okay, so I'm still waiting for one good reason that there is no God. Mm -hmm. Well, the fact that you keep saying good reason, good to you, because I'm, I'm not obligated to, to cater my understanding of my beliefs or how I understand reality to what you consider a good. I mean, you could walk away from this conversation thinking that I don't have good justifications for atheism and I will sleep fine. I'm not really interested in a bad reason. So is there a good reason that there is no God? Yeah, it's the fourth time you've asked that. Um, it's, it's really not a complicated question. It, it's more complicated than you think. Good to whom? I have good. Re I have reasons that are good to me, but they may not be good to you. Well, just give one of your reasons. Yeah. How did you come to the conclusion that there is no God? That's a long story. Um, I I don't see any evidence for it. Um, depending on the God, 
where I look for where there should be evidence, I don't see it. Um, I acknowledge that there could be a God. I just think that that possibility has a low probability. I think that alternate explanations for things that are more naturalistic and not supernaturalistic um, resonate with me more. Okay, so you said, but you said you believe there's no God. I do. Okay, good. So, so now you seem to be kind of vacillating between atheism and agnosticism. Um, I've been called an agnostic before. I mean, uh, I, okay. I use the well, label. You said there's no God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let I'm me saying, ask you this question. Let whoa, me ask you this whoa, 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 whoa! This is not an interrogation, brother. So I'm not interrogating you. Well, you're asking a lot of questions in rapid succession that I have yet to answer. So let's take it a piece at a time. Um, I might have a looser definition, right, of atheism. I gave a definition based on my belief, not objective fact, God doesn't exist. That's not my position. So you could call me agnostic. My definition of atheism could be another person's agnosticism. So that's what you're dealing with. Okay, so now you're an agnostic? It's not that now I'm agnostic. You can use whatever label you're interested in. But so long as we talk about my beliefs, that's that that'll be a more fruitful conversation, I think. I'm I'm still waiting for an answer to the question. Um, one good reason why there's no God. I gave three. Okay. Okay. So you. So um, are is your argument then the absence of evidence is evidence of absence? No. Okay. Well then, how did when you said there's no evidence for God and you conclude there is none because there's no evidence? That's the absence of evidence is evidence of absence. I accept that you see it that way. No, that's exactly what it is. Well, Christopher, isn't it? Isn't it from time to time? Didn't you say that given some gods, there are instances in which um, evidence of absence is. Let's just continue the conversation here. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Oh, I, I see the point that you're making. Um, you said there's no evidence, therefore there's no God. There is no evidence. There's uh, okay. All right, I'll 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 give that to you. Um, okay, good. Then that entails the absence of evidence is evidence of absence. Okay. Is that your position? In mm -hmm. some instances. Okay, good. Then you're going to have to necessitate, or excuse me, you're going to have to specify that if a god existed, then mm. you would necessarily see X. Notice the key word is necessarily. Mm. Right? And in the absence of observing X, therefore you conclude there's no god. So if a god existed, mm -hmm. what would you necessarily see? Miracles. Why would you necessarily see miracles if there was a god? Depending on your definition of that God, I'm I'm, I'm going to go I with already, Abraham. I already gave that definition. I know and those are your definitions, and I accept that those are the definitions that you have. But I I get the the weird impression. Jason and Andrew and I were having a charitable conversation. I feel that your questions are asked in bad faith. That you're trying to corner me and challenge me in a way that is meant to score points. And I'm not really interested in that kind of conversation. That, that violates my social contract of what is socially appropriate. Okay, well, th those are all n nice words, but I ask you to give me a good reason. The reason that you've given me for and, atheism. And this, this pushing forward with things that you've already asked right. that I feel that I've answered 
is the exact violation of the social contract that I'm offering. What 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 violation has occurred? You had told me mm -hmm. that the absence of evidence is evidence of absence in some cases. Now, if that is your good reason, then that would mean that if there was a God, then there would we would necessarily see X, and in the absence of X, you can conclude according to your reasoning that there is no God. Now, what would X necessarily be in your view? I don't know. So then you actually don't have a good reason then for atheism. Um, as I mentioned before, if you walk away from this conversation thinking that I don't have good reason to be to hold the beliefs that I do, that's fine. It, so let's just cut to the chase. What is your goal in asking these questions? Well, I wanted to find out from you what your good reason was that there that where you came to the conclusion that there was no God. You told me Did I did I claim that I had Can good reasons? Can I finish please? Sure. Okay. Okay, good. You told me your one good reason why there was no God is because there's no evidence for God. You confirmed that your position was for your atheism mm -hmm. that the absence of evidence is evidence of absence. I asked you what the evidence would necessarily be if a God existed, and you you can't stipulate that. Therefore, okay. your statement that there is the absence of evidence is evidence of absence um, really doesn't have any substance to it as a good reason that there is no God. Well, I, I accept that you don't find it a good reason. I want to jump in here for a second. Um, uh, Christopher, I, I want to ask this question here. Just uh, Is if... If you did um, encounter evidence uh, for God, mm -hmm. um, would would you worship God? So the the question. So this is this seems like a, a different version of the question. What would it take for me to believe in God? And I don't mean to put words in your mouth. Um, no, but, I mean if if you just if you because you said that you just haven't seen evidence for God. Mm -hmm. But if you did, if you were given evidence for God. Uh, would you still worship him? And I'm speaking specifically of the Christian God here. That's the only God sure. that I defend. So what I would say is, and and it would be the answer that I give to the other form of the question, is uh, for me to believe in God, um, I can't be reasoned into it. So uh, seeing evidences and observational and all that stuff, the only um, the only thing that would, from my perspective that I understand, would make me believe in God would be personal revelation. And I have yet to experience that. If I had personal revelation and knew it to be true in such a way that it couldn't be false, that this is the Holy Spirit whose finger touched me, and that God existed, then yes, everything that I perceive would be uh, filtered through that lens. And I, I have yet to experience that. So, so let let me jump kind of all the way back. I mean, we're we're going mm -hmm. back now about forty five minutes ago, but where we were talking about. Machine. Wayback Machine uh, here, where you mentioned that you don't have to justify your presuppositions, but I say that those presuppositions that you are adhering to and that you are holding to are only grounded in God. Are is that not a personal revelation of God to you? Say that one more time. So those presuppositions that you said that you didn't need to justify, um, that you said for example you would just assume morality you assume induction you you just assume a lot of these things but you don't feel that you need you don't value having to justify them mm -hmm. um, do you not see those presuppositions as god's personal revelation to you 
No. Okay. So my my point would be simply that I think God has already personally revealed Himself to you, and that's you, you just don't like. I, I would say that you don't you can't give me a rational reason. You just you just well, don't I, prefer I, that. I agree that I can't give you a, a rational reason because I don't think that I can be reason. I don't think that people can get reasoned into uh, religious belief. Right, and in the same respect, they can't be reasoned out of it. So when I say personal revelation, I'm talking about a subjective, phenomenological experience. And so evidences, you know, in talking about them, I, I don't think that they have as much value in trying to support one worldview over another. Either you see things one way, or you see them another way. Yes. What what differentiates those two ways of seeing things is personal experience. So and by that I mean specifically like uh, phenomenological experiential subjectiveness. So is atheism, your position of atheism, is it something that you have been reasoned into? No. So you are would admit that you simply assume it's true. Can you give me the reason why you personally... Um, uh, if you if you can't give me any if it wasn't something that you were reasoned into what what is why why do you hold to it? Um, I wasn't reasoned into it where like I sat down and with a philosopher and broke down the rationality or irrationality of it. It just um, let's see. I guess it has to do with my development and my education and and I, oh let me rephrase that. I didn't mean to say that because I have education that, it, that uh, my opinion is more educated. That wasn't where I was going with that. But, you know, after um, taking some comparative uh, religion courses, the fact that I study psychology, it just resonated with me more that there are psychological and natural explanations for things than, um, than supernatural. My, my ability to adhere to the existence of supernaturalism um, withered. Um, the question I have is when you earlier said that there's no evidence for God, mm -hmm. what in your mind do you think would be the evidence necessarily that would be if God, a God did exist that you say is missing? Okay. So I'll just fall back on what I said a minute ago where I don't think that talking about evidences is a fruitful path because if I did have personal revelation in the way that I just described it, then everything around me would be evidence for God. Well, you told me earlier. You told me earlier mm -hmm. that your um, good reason that there was no God is that there was no evidence for God. Now that presupposes that you would have in your mind what the evidence of God would necessarily be. Yet you have not stipulated what that the evidence would necessarily be in order to conclude that there's not a God. Mm -hmm. Now, this in the absence, in the absence of stipulating what the evidence would necessarily be. Mm -hmm. And the statement, um, there is no God because there's no evidence, would just be a slogan. Okay. Well, I think... Can I ask a... I've, I've permitted Jack to jump in here, so Jack, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think the problem is, is that in order for there to be evidence for a God or for anything, right, it would have to be the case that... Uh, that the hypothesis in question generates predictive expectations, right? So we can say there's evidence for a star if 
you know, there's bright light observed, if there's intense heat observed, and so on. Those are things that we would expect if there were a star in some given region of space-time. I think the problem is, is that positing a god doesn't actually generate any predictive expectations. And given that that's the case, there can't actually be any evidence for it. Now, if that's the case, it follows that uh, the only way there could actually be justification for belief in God would be if there were a good a priori argument for the existence of God. Right? And I don't happen to think that there is such, a, such an argument. So I don't think belief in God can actually um, be rationally justified even if um, the God hypothesis is constructed in such a way that it's logically coherent. Right? Um, I'm not sure that there really are any logically coherent God hypotheses, but if there were one, you could believe in it, but you couldn't have any justification for belief in it. Okay, so Christopher, um, I had to ask you um, if you could give me um, uh, what the evidence would necessarily be um, if a God existed, and you haven't uh, shared with us what that would be. Since you so haven't shared that with us, redirected. how can there... You've redirected the conversation to this question at least four times, and at least twice I've said that speaking of evidences, which is the question that you're asking, is not a fruitful um, discussion. I don't think that evidences that I give from my perspective you're going to find persuasive, and I don't think that evidence that you would give from your perspective I would find persuasive. And the core of that difference is the subjective experience that I talked about. But so I, trying to redirect the conversation for me yeah. to answer that I'm question. I'm not redirecting the conversation. I think you're feeling very uncomfortable. You didn't mind when I asked you what your atheism entailed. And now that I've asked you to um, support your contention that there is no evidence, but you're now saying it's unfruitful. I think what I you're have, doing is a very polite dodge to, to support I'm your own contention. But I, I supported it. I supported the contention that there's no evidence, and you haven't hey, responded to me, evolution. Hey, hey Jack, let, let, let uh, Christopher and Jack here, uh, or evolution, engage here for a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'll just say one more thing, Christopher. Okay. I think it's clear to me, and probably others that are watching, Mm -hmm. That you know you are be, you are being very polite, but I think it, it's pretty clear that you're uncomfortable in supporting your own contention that there is no God because there is no evidence for God. And like like I said, and I'll just I'll be very brief. Mm -hmm. That that entails or that presupposes that there would necessarily be evidence if a God existed. When I ask you what that necessary evidence is, you can't seem to say. Therefore, your claim there is no God because there is no evidence for God is an unsubstantiated statement and really just turns out to be a slogan. Okay. Um, as as I've, I've already laid out what it is that I believe. Right? I believe um, what I believe because it's, it's the version of the uh, reality that I experience that resonates with me most. Mm -hmm. If you don't think that I have good reasons for it, that is perfectly fine. No, it's not that I think that. It's that your your prime contention as to the reason why there is no God is because there is no evidence that when I ask you to specify that, what the evidence would necessarily be, you don't want to answer that. So actually, you don't have a good reason. 
this is the third time that I've said it is fine if you don't think that I have a good reason. No, it's not that I don't think that. You don't have a good reason. I accept that you believe that. No, I no. You're you see, you're being very polite. That's a little bit comes across a little bit smarmy. You have said, and, and you're that coming your across very why, I'd like to finish without being interrupted. I'm sure that you would. Like but you're saying the same thing over and over I'd, again. I'd like to finish without being interrupted. I'm being. Polite I'm sure that you would. I didn't. No, I didn't interrupt you, Christopher. Okay. Listen. Okay, but Christopher. That, that, I that does not mean you. that I'm obligated to hear you say the same. I'd like to finish over. without being interrupted. I'm sure that you please. would. Okay, nice. you're interrupting me. We'll, we'll leave it up to the moderator. Okay, good. It is up to but, the moderators, and I'd like to finish. Okay, uh, now I'll, I'll I let you finish. Yeah. If uh, let's 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 get the conversation moving on, though. Okay, I'll just say one more thing. He was perfectly comfortable in defining and describing his atheism and giving a good reason. Once he was asked a follow-up question to support his alleged good reason that there is no God because there's no evidence. When he was asked a question, what would the evidence for God necessarily be in order to conclude there is no God? All of a sudden he feels uncomfortable in answering that question. And it is not that I believe that you have not actually given a good reason. You have not. Okay? So your response saying, uh, without stipulating what the evidence would necessarily be, without stipulating that, then the statement there is no God because there's no evidence for God actually is just a slogan. It's a slogan that doesn't have any support or, or content to it. I accept that my answers don't meet your criteria. Yeah, okay. you know you know what? Yeah, that's a, that's a childish response. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to... Um, Andy uh, is back, and he wants to interact uh, a little bit with you, Christopher. So I'm going to uh, uh, just mute everyone else in the conversation right now, and uh, we'll... Um, uh, allow Andy. So Andy, go ahead and jump uh, back in. I know that yeah. you were. So Christopher, are you looking for a experience to validate God? Well, I'm not looking for one, but uh, the only answer that I could give as to why, uh, what would make me change my mind from the belief that there isn't a God to the belief that there is a God, the only answer that I can think of would be personal revelation through subjective experience. So what you're asking for is perhaps uh, an experience, something, uh, not, I'm not trying to, I use this term of, of kind of a biblical proportion, something mm -hmm. like Moses in the burning bush or something like that. Not, not necess I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be uh, snarky or something, but no, I think you're looking for something like that. Well, once again, it's not necessarily that I'm looking for it, but if something were, if I were to have a life experience that made it clear that what was happening is I was being touched by the hand of the Holy Spirit or God, and I'm just using those those terms colloquially and rhetorically. I don't li literally need to see a hand touching me or whatever, but that experience was caused by a God that let me know that there is a God that exists. Um, then that would completely change my perspective on how I saw reality and what I saw previously as evidence against would probably be flipped to evidences for, and yeah, that. I would like to engage Christopher if that's possible. Quick question, uh, real quick. Would, um, if God did exist, would you expect him to give you this experience or, or not? In other words, do you think God is obligated to give you this experience if he exists? No. Okay. So let me ask this then. 
if he did exist, okay, let me ask it this way. Would you be, have you ever asked in the, with the hypothesis, have you ever asked God for this experience? Um, not specifically. Uh, I was raised Catholic, and I'm, you may or may not think that Catholicism is a valid form of Christianity. But, you know, I went through the sacraments, and I, I believed in my heart when I was a believer that, you know, God existed, and that heaven existed, and hell existed, and all of that. And then, um, and I don't mean this to sound condescending, uh, but I grew out of it. Uh, the experiences of my, uh, my experiences post-high school, post-teenage years, uh, based on the things that I studied and the things that resonated with me, led me away from uh, a belief in the supernatural or God. So if God provided you this experience, are you confident you would see that experience as, as God, for lack of a better word, answering your prayer or would you explain away I'm, I'm not trying to I'm trying to ask what you would no, do it's, I think that's if, a if you question. had a, if you had that experience would you go oh maybe I was hallucinating or maybe that was just my imagination or would you really truly be open to that experience well, depending on the experience and the answer to your question is is yes I I'd have to pay attention to it because if I had that experience that revelation would show me that there is a God, and whatever it is that he wanted me to do, I would then be obligated to do. I, I mean, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking for truth. I'm looking to not, ha to not delude myself about reality. So if that experience happened, and all of a sudden I realized that the way that I've lived my life up to that point was going in a direction against the existence of this God who wants it to go in a different direction, I would like to think that I would pay attention to it. So you're pretty convinced that if you had this experience, um, and again, the magnitude of it would be subjective, you know, that you would change your mind. And, and if, if Scripture is true, you know, when people have had this experience, which if Scripture is true, people have had this experience you're seeking, mm -hmm. it was quite jarring. Um, you know, the it really messed with them, uh, messed with their life, messed with who they were as a person, etc. You know, talk about somebody like Paul or Moses or something like that. Are you ready, if that experience happened, to make those sort of changes or not? Would, would you be open to a life-changing experience? I would, I would like to think so. But, okay. you know, I can't really say for definite whether that's the case. I would like so, to think that I would run into a burning building to save lives. I don't have a burning building next to me with lives to save to test that. So what I would, this would be my thought to you, is if that's what would convince you, I think you should start asking for it. You know, I'm, I'm I mean... I'm not, not yeah. into it. I mean, I think you should be... Well, just a word of advice, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I would think that you would be praying for this experience, not praying is not the right word, but for your from your worldview, but seeking this experience, asking for this experience, you know, imploring God to reveal this, right? Mm. Well, um, I don't place enough value on it, right? As much as I value looking for truth and having a, a worldview and position and perceptions that comport with reality, um, I don't see the value in 
specifically looking for the Abrahamic God, seeking it, it to use your words. That's uh, there's there's too many beers to drink and too many, too much bass to play. Okay, thanks. Okay, um, did uh, sh I think you asked for Shanna to join in on the conversation? Uh, Shanna, did you want to join in? Um, yes, I did. Hello, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Are you now? You said uh, Chris. Nice to meet you. That Shanna was a deist. Yeah, it's nice correct? to meet you too, Chris. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Shanna's my girlfriend. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, so yes. she has a different view than you, Christopher. She's a deist? Oh, yeah. We fist fight about it constantly. Oh, yeah. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Feminist atheism, let me tell you. <laughs> if you want to hear somebody bust my chops about atheism, you should hear the conversations I have with Shanna. <laughs> so, Shanna, what, what, uh, since you're a deist, uh, what evidence do you have for your, your, your uh, deism? Oh, wow, you are right to the point, aren't you? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I like it. So, to touch on just some of them, a lot of them would be very similar, not so dissimilar from some of the Christian evidences, except I don't go that extra step, right? So, there's, um, there's the moral arguments, there's the argument from consciousness, there's DNA, there's inference of the best explanation, so on and so forth. You get my, catch my drift? Okay, give one of them. In full? No, I'm not, I don't want to do that. That's boring. Okay. <laughs> okay. And we're so, not going to disagree so, on any of that. So how, how do you how do you know that uh, that uh, a, a general deity is the foundation for morality? Well, no is not really a word that I would use because I think it's a useless word. Um, but I do believe that that's the case because I think that's what the evidence suggests, and that best explains the set of data and the facts that we have in reality. Okay, so so I thought earlier you said you had an argument for it. So now it's just a belief that you have. It's not a belief based upon um, uh, an actual argument, something that you know. You just think it might be true. No, that's not what I said. Be nice. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when we we hear arguments, we find them compelling. Then a belief develops from that, right? That's how belief formation works. So if I hear these arguments, and I'm compelled by them, and then I look at the counter-arguments, I'm not compelled by them, and so on and so forth, as philosophy goes, then a belief will form. Against my will, a belief will form. Right? So my beliefs are based on arguments that I found compelling. So it's not just a belief. Either I have just a belief or I have an argument. Those two things go together. Well, One I was, gave I'll, birth to the other. Yeah, I was a little confused by... Um, because you said something earlier, you said it was not you. You didn't like the word "no," right? So, so do you do you know that there is a God, or do you... <laughs> how are you using that word? Let's do that. <laughs> well, knowledge. No is knowledge. Do you have knowledge that there is a God? Uh, see, that's another funny thing with knowledge. I mean, I. How are you using that word? Okay. Um, my question would be: Is do you know that uh, that you have a belief in a general deity? I know that I have a belief. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Okay. Well, then that's then you seem to like the word no. <laughs> well, it's the whole concept of knowledge itself, right? It gets used in very strange ways, very tricky, sticky ways, more often than not. Right, so do I know that I'm sitting in my chair right now? I sure do. Okay. Do I know that my Jeep's sitting outside? Well, I think I know. You know. It's what I think I know. 
right? Do I know that there's a creator, as in that is now a fact in reality that must be accepted by all? Of course not. That's an absurdity, right? Okay. So, then we get so, a certainty thing where people think that a certain amount of certainty is currency, and then it buys you knowledge, and once you have bought knowledge with enough certainty, you win the game. But that's not how it really works. Okay, so it sounds to me like you, you're not sure if there really is a god, though. So you, it sounds like you're more an agnostic camp, same as Christopher. Well, that's the that's the definition you want to go with. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I was just curious on if you were. I I find deism to be indefensible. Uh, against. Uh, because, uh, against really anything uh, against Christian theism. Uh, I I think deism is just as indefensible as atheism or agnosticism, uh, because it's just uh, it it assumes something, but it doesn't. It cannot account. For example, the Christian as as a Christian, I have special revelation from God, and that is my presupposition. I don't make any apology for that. Mm-hmm. So my question for anybody that holds to any sort of deistic position. Um, is how how do you even account for that? Uh, what 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 sort of foundation do you have to stand on? Uh, you're just you're basically just creating a uh, a form of uh, deity, or as we as Christians would call it, an idol in your own mind, uh, something that's more. Um, and this comes from my worldview, but something that suits your uh, your your the things that you like, uh, something that maybe that you prefer, so you kind of create a god that you prefer, but you can't really provide any sort of uh, justification for that particular god. You simply just assume him. Um, oh, you yeah. just said a lot of things that aren't true. Okay, okay. You can directly contradict what I just said. Okay, okay. So go ahead and what what are those? Well, I don't assume anything, right? You're a presuppositionalist. I am not. You're, you're, you seem like an intelligent adult, right? You understand that what you're doing is an apologetic for Christianity. You've admitted that freely. Right? Whoa, whoa, I, I want to jump in there. You say you don't assume anything? I don't assume that there's a God. I assume tons of things. Oh, okay. Right. <clears throat> so, the, obviously we're going to have different approaches to the beliefs that we have. Right. So, <sighs> when, well, when you want well, to... Uh, can I can I interact with that just pr- yeah, real sure, briefly? Because um, because you, you said um, uh, you don't assume there is a God. Now you do say that there is one, though, right? Oh yes. Okay. So can you give me um, your uh, argument for this God that you believe in? Well, as I outlined earlier, there's many many arguments that I find compelling and convincing that the universe was created. Okay. Can you provide one of those for me? I listed them earlier and then explicitly said I'm not going to launch into the full-blown arguments. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, okay, this is from my perspective. So let's say somebody asked me, well, um, uh, you know, I believe that uh, my, my, uh, my uncle is uh, in Indiana right now. And they asked, well, why do you believe that? Well, uh, you know, I, I, just, I have lots of arguments and a lot of reasons why, but I, I just won't tell you. Uh, so what I'm what I I'm okay yeah yeah I see what you you're, you understand what I'm saying so yeah, you're I, making I an assertion saying, but, but I, I, I guess I'd like I, to get a specific what I was expecting I guess was a little bit of um, charitability and understanding that you and I both know what these arguments are when I say when I name them and that we that we're not going to argue against them. Well, okay, but you do understand I'm a presuppositionalist, right? So I don't accept the standard theistic proofs. Uh, like I don't make the teleological argument. I don't make uh, the uh, cosmological well, of course, argument. Of course, you don't make them. But I mean, do you think that they're 
bad arguments? Um, they're not bad? arguments that I would make. Uh, that's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, because do you think that they're false or bad arguments. Uh, they, there's there's issues with uh, with many of them. I, I personally I like the uh, the ontological argument. If there's any argument outside of presuppositionalism that uh, that that I I like, um, I like the ontological argument. But I I don't use that because the, and here's the reason why. I believe God is the foundation of logic. I believe that all, that logic, everything comes from God, because Scripture tells me that it does. All things come from God. So if I use uh, an epistemological system uh, based upon the laws of logic to judge an argument of God, whether God exists or not, let's let's take even the ontological argument or the cosmological argument or the the argument for morality. If I if I take that and I use that to judge the existence of uh, either not God or God, then I am saying that there is there are laws and there is an epistemological system that exists autonomously outside of God by which I can then judge his existence and as a Christian I can't do that um, God judges me I don't judge him and so so I, I think all the arguments outside of just presupposing the validity of the Bible uh, which then gives a coherent worldview um, to to use any other argument is to is to uh, judge God and is also to assume that there are things that exist outside of Him by which He can be judged, and so uh, that that's a faulty that's the assumption of neutrality, and I don't believe any of us are neutral. Um, you, I don't believe you're neutral. I don't believe Christopher's neutral. I'm not neutral. Um, we we all come to the table with things that we assume. Uh, ahead of time by which we then judge evidence and arguments. But I don't believe that you can actually make an argument, any sort of argument at all, without presupposing the God of the Bible, because you can't account for the laws of logic outside of him. That's interesting. So let me see if I understand a particular point that you made in there. Um, so you, you presuppose the validity of the Bible and the existence of this specific God before so that would have to be the first thing that you do, right? Because yes. under that, then it would be almost blasphemous for you to evaluate any of the arguments to begin with. Uh, yeah. yeah. If, if I mean, I look at the arguments, but but I don't assume that I have an epistemological system outside of that that exists independent of God by which I can judge Him. I can't because I can't even account for epistemology, and I cannot account for logic without God. So it would be absolutely foolish for me uh, to to judge God uh, based upon something that I assume from my own uh, subject creatureliness. Uh, for example, you you would agree that you're not omniscient. Would that be correct? Well, today you should catch me on a Tuesday, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So if you're not omniscient, she makes me admit that she's omniscient all the time. <laughs> I believe only it. on Tuesdays, Chris. Tuesdays, that's right. So, so if you're not omniscient, if, if you don't know all things, how is it that you, for example, if you're going to judge an argument, let's take the, I, I don't know what your favorite argument is, but let, let's, let's take your, let's say you like the cosmological argument. Um, so do you not have to admit that in order to look at the cosmological argument that you have to presuppose 
that the laws of logic are absolutes by which you can even make a syllogistic argument, for example, like the cosmological argument, right? You would have to assume those are absolutes, right? Um, I mean, that's absolutes a really big, big word. Well, I, I see what you're saying, so I'll go yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, trust, from, I trust that course, logic is serving me correctly, yeah. Yeah, so of course from your deistic position, uh, you, you're going to struggle with saying absolutes, but the thing is you can't live your life that way, and so when you look at an argument from you're looking at like the cosmological argument for example you're judging it you're assuming that there are laws of logic by which you can measure this argument and therefore conclude god right correct so so my question for you would be from your position of not being omniscient you don't have all knowledge how do you know that those particular laws how is it that you um, have knowledge of those particular laws as absolutes, because if you don't have omniscience, th there there is knowledge that exists outside of the scope of your own mind, right? I mean, you would right. agree with that, right? So, so, how do you know that in the knowledge that you don't possess, that there isn't evidence that would show that the laws of logic are not absolutes? How do you know that? Well, I don't. Exactly. So, but you assume them to be absolutes. In, in fact, you do in such a way that you even judge arguments for God based upon them. But my, my thing is, is you're simply assuming that, and you're assuming them as absolutes. You're working with them as if they are absolutes, but you can't account for it. Now, here's the thing. I believe that you do know them as absolutes, but this is why I believe that you know them as absolutes. There's, there's only two options. Either for you to know, for any creature to know and have knowledge of absolutes, he would either A, have to be omniscient, or he would have to have revelation from one who is omniscient. So when you use the laws of logic to judge arguments, you are revealing that God has revealed these absolutes to you in order that you can function within his reality. Oh, um, you know I don't agree with that. Well, I know you don't agree with that, but you can't account for your, your, your knowledge of them any other way other than God revealed them to you. I can't account for my not for my of logic. Yes, the laws of logic. How do you account for the laws of logic if God did not reveal them to you? Now, when you say account, the justify unpack that a little bit. Justify, okay. Mm -hmm. So, the way that I would justify my use of logic is its reliability in the past. Right. Okay, but that's that's begging the question. That's assuming. Which question is it begging? Well, uh, you're you're assuming its reliability in the past. So how do you know it will be reliable in the future? Well, I don't know, but it, it does make it a warranted assumption. It does make it a warranted belief. Only if you. That's begging the question, though, because if you if you simply assume that it will be that way in the future, uh, because it has been that way in the past. Um, I ask you, well, how do you know? Is it going to be that way in the future? And you say, well, it's always just been that way. Okay, well, that's that's begging the question. That's not actually answering. How do, how do you know it will be that, that way? Begging? Which the question qu is that begging? The question that you're begging is, how do you know it will be that way in the future? You didn't give me an answer. It's always been that right, way that in the actually past. Is, that, that is an answer, right? So we use inferences every day. Are, are you familiar with Hume? I'm familiar with Hume. Okay. Do you, you realize uh, Hume uh, undercut all of... Uh, science by saying that we cannot assume uh, to assume induction is to beg the question, right? <laughs> right, right. But as I go through my day-to-day -day life, uh -huh. and you go through your day-to-day -day life, and mm -hmm. your wife and your children and everyone else's families in this room, 
go through their day-to-day life. They do it anyway, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get out of I'm not going to get out of yeah. bed every day and question whether or not gravity is still intact mm-hmm. and whether or not I should step on my floor or that the wood that the you know the boards are going to hold and I'm not going to fall through it. Right? Every single day I've ever gotten up, I was able to get up and not fall through my floor or float away and die, right? So while I do see what you're saying in the sense of I don't know for a fact, therefore I have no reason, nothing, nowhere I can plant my little flag, okay, fine. But it still works day-to-day, my day-to-day living, and it also works my day-to-day logic and inferences, right? When I'm driving, I use that logic and those inferences of what's happened before to drive defensively, drive offensively. It's saved my life probably millions of times by now. So while it doesn't buy me that, that certainty, which then is that currency for that knowledge that you're after, it still works in day-to-day life. Well, I know it works, but I'm saying that you can't account for it working. You're just saying, well, it works. Um, but that's just pragmatism. Uh, wor- so, uh, pragmatism simply uh, tells you whether something works, not on exactly how it should work, if that's the way it actually should work. You're just saying that it does work. Correct. That doesn't, account- that doesn't give it any sort of accounting for it. Well, it doesn't give it an accounting in the sense that you're after, right? So justification is one thing. The way that you're using the word accounting, and then when I asked you to kind of clarify that earlier, you said justification, so I did go ahead and justify it. Now, whether or not you find that justification compelling, that's something that we could discuss, but you're using it in a much heavier sense than you indicated before. Your justification begs the question, so therefore it would be based upon a logical fallacy. But I'm a little confused because... um it seems like by justification you mean something like an inference, right? Who, me? Uh, no, um, logical. Okay. Um, ex- ex- explain what you, what you mean. Well, by justification you mean that one can give an argument, right? And arguments are inferential in form. Right, that's what you mean by justify. That, that's correct. That, right. That's correct. So, well, I'm so then, I'm, then there would have to actually be inferential rules, which are presupposed in order to give an argument. Absolutely, and that was my point. No, no, no. But the, the problem is, is that in order to account for them, you'd have to presuppose them to begin with. Exactly, but and that's my point. She is she is presupposing no, but that, that would that would mean that everybody is in the same boat, including you, in terms of justification. See, you you were trying to say that the atheist or the deist or the non-Christian has no justification for using laws of logic, right? As if the Christian does. But then, in order for that to be the case, it would have to be that justification could be given non-circularly. Right. No, I, I I would agree with this part. No, I can justify the laws of logic from my Christian worldview. Now, if you're going to ask me how do I uh, justify the existence of God, because that would be the next question. You would have to go to my foundation, right? You're getting ahead of yourself. You've agreed that in order to justify laws of logic, laws of logic would themselves have to be presupposed. That would be to argue in a circle. So therefore, it's illegitimate to ask for them to be justified. No, actually, I asked her to justify induction. No, uh, before that, you that said, was, you said, before you said... Well, let's, let's go back to my actual them. argument. My actual argument you, is, is that I asked her to justify induction. Okay? I'm not talking Which about is, induction. 
that's we can what talk I was about talking that about. As well. No, but earlier you said, can that you is, justify? That is what we're talking about. And so, so my question is, is how does she assume that the laws of logic will be the same? I didn't say about the existence of laws of logic. I'm saying that how does she assume that the laws of logic will continue tomorrow as they have been in the past? How does she assume no, that? Uh, and so that is what I asked her to justify. I didn't ask her to justify the laws of logic. Now, I would also ask her to do that. Uh, well, but if you would ask her to do that, right, it would have to be possible to justify laws of logic. Right? Absolutely. Non-circularly. Now, is there a way to do that? Yeah. God is the justification well, for it. I'm not appealing no, 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 to the laws of logic. No, 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 no. You've granted that to offer a justification for laws of logic, you would have to appeal to inferential rules. Right, because to give a justification for the laws of logic is to give an argument, and arguments are governed by inferential rules. Right, so inferential rules are themselves laws of logic. So you'd have to presuppose laws of logic in order to give a justification for laws of logic. Right, um, logical. You can just you can just sweep this all under the rug just by simply asking Shanna. Other than you temporarily assuming the laws of logic, because to speak is to temporarily assume them, how would you, beyond a temporary assumption, account for the laws of logic are absolute and universal, given the parameters of her worldview? That would be that would be the question that you can ask her. No, that doesn't answer the objection that I'm raising, evolution. The objection that I'm raising, right, is to ask for a justification for laws of logic is to ask somebody to give an argument in support of laws of logic. Okay, right? Shanna, yeah, I have a question. Give, but, excuse me, I wasn't, okay. I wasn't done but yet. Jack, but, uh, Jack, that argument does justify the existence of the laws of logic. So how, how, that is how providing a foundation it, for them. How can it justify it uh, w without it being a circular argument? The only circularity is involved in the existence of God. Now, is all ultimate authorities, are they ultimately circular? Yes, that is you're not, correct. You're not, you're not following the objection. Let me try to restate it. So, you're saying, what is your justification for laws of logic? Let's bracket questions about what it even means to say laws of logic and what have you, right? So, you said that what it means to give a justification is to give an argument, right? No, I said God is. The, I simply said God is the justification. Now that is. Well, that, that's not what you said before when I asked you what you meant. Okay, logical. No, I've been repeatedly get, saying this. Logical. I've been repeatedly saying this. Logical. Logical. Yeah. You are going to get nowhere in the conversation with Jack about this. He employs these strategies all the time, and it goes around and around in circles. No matter what you say. His response will be, see, I don't see how that follows, and then he goes down another rabbit trail. So, Shanna, my question to you, and I would appreciate it that no one interject and let Shanna speak for herself so as not to obstruct the question. Shanna, other than a temporary assumption of the laws of logic, how, given the parameters of your worldview, could you account for how you would know that the laws of logic are absolute, universal, and invariant. Okay, but the, the objection that I, I raised... Ask is that, I ask that you not interrupt. I ask you not to interrupt. I ask that you not to interrupt. Thank you. Go ahead, Shana. Right, so um, there's a couple of 
problems with that question, but I'll, I'll get right to what you want. I, I don't know, and I wouldn't claim to know. Okay, then you can't invoke the laws of logic beyond just a mere temporary assumption. Right, yeah, I'm okay with that. Which, which, which Shannon, that was the thing I was telling you earlier. When you make arguments for deism, mm -hmm. you, are, you are assuming the validity of the laws of logic, but as you just said right there, you can't account for them, so your arguments collapse. Oh, they don't collapse until logic collapses, right? And then I have to be willing to allow that to happen, right? I can't well, hang, logic, no, hang, hang on now. If logic collapses underneath my feet, and I no longer have ground, the ground that I'm building to stand on, and it falls away, I have to allow the beliefs to fall away with it. Then I would be consistent. But it did just collapse. You just said that you can't account for them. That's exactly it, right. Why not being able to account for it with the deity that does not collapse it? Logic has to itself fail. No, you your have claim, you have your, your claim that I'm not able to account for it in some you know, godlike way, which I I could throw that out there. We could have some fun with that. But I don't want to play with you. Okay. Well, what logical said earlier was a was a was a brilliant point. He said the only way that you could um, know that the laws of logic are absolutely universal is two ways: either you are omniscient, or it was revealed to you by one who was omniscient that it was that case. Now, again, we're not talking about a temporary assumption that we all use even to open up our mouth and speak about things. That's not under question. The question is, how would you account for them from within your worldview beyond a temporary assumption? And the answer is, you cannot from within your... <clears throat> I believe you... Did you say you were a deist, Shannon? Yes, I am a deist. Oh, oh, okay, good. From it, within your worldview of deism, deism uh, entails that there is a God or a creator who does not intervene providentially nor give revelation. So there would be no way, given your finite limitations and the non-providential interjection or revelation of that deist God, there would be no way for you to know anything about the nature or character of that God nor the parameters of existence such that the laws of logic were being universal. But I raised an objection to that line of questioning, which uh, hasn't uh, been I'd, I'd like Shana to respond to my question without being interrupted by Jack. By the way, Jack is a known troll who attempts to obstruct any conversations I'm in with people. Thank you. Go ahead, Shana. Go ahead with what? You just made a lot of statements. right? And you're okay. not really saying anything that I disagree with. You and I okay. just okay. completely disagree on the value of knowledge and what you well, consider to be knowledge. Well, the point, the point is this. <clears throat> what, um, I'm going to ask you an if-then question, and I'll try to uh, just keep it simple. Um, if the Christian God exists as he is defined and described in the Bible, mm -hmm. would it necessarily follow that we could know some things such that the laws of logic are universal? Hmm. Ask it one more time. If I got a kick out of your, your snark comment, so I, I didn't listen to the beginning. Try again. Are you, are you referring to Jack? No, you said that you'll try and keep it simple. I thought that was cute. Oh, no, no. I, I w if that came across to you as snarky, I apologize. I did not mean to, for it to come across that way. Oh, okay, good. Um, Maybe I took yeah. it wrong. No, no. Yeah, I, I wasn't trying to be snarky. Um, um, if the Christian God exists as he is defined and described, does it logically and necessarily follow that we could know things such as the laws of logic are universal? <sighs> well, the, the answer is yes. I don't think so. I think the answer is still going to be no. So no, you don't. 
No, the you answer don't. would be yes, because the Christian God is defined in such a way that the way his mind works and the pro his properties and attributes uh, consist of the law of identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. So by definition, okay, by definition, it would it necessarily follows that we would know that the laws of logic are universal. It's by Shit. definition. Shanna, could could you give us a reason why the Christian God cannot account for the laws of logic? Can you give us a reason? Because we gave an argument. Well, for it's why not he does. so much. Okay, first of all, I, I'm I want to make something a little clear, and I'm not trying to be rude. <laughs> that was the nicest word. Um, I, I don't grant that presuppositionalism is a great argument. So when you say that you've given me an argument, I'm I don't agree with you. No, our but, argument but is for the you sake can't of having argument. conversation because this is a lot of fun, and I enjoy that you guys are, you know, having fun and being nice for the most part. And you know, so, I'm, let's just make sure that's clear. Next, um, I, I think that if, so if it's revealed to you by an omniscient being, and and he's defined in such a way where he knows everything that it does, so on and so forth. There's a certain amount of trust that's put in that, right? You're trusting that that's true. No, and you're also assuming yes, and you're also assuming that this God won't lie to you or mislead you. No, 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 Shanna, Shanna, it's it, a a a bachelor is an unmarried <clears throat> male. That is true by definition. Okay, the moment you, for example, the moment you say you're assuming that the God you believe in, i.e., the Christian God, could lie to you, well, then that would contradict the definition. The Christian God, by definition, cannot hey, lie. Hey, Mr. Interrupt you. Why don't you not interrupt and let her finish the, her thought? I didn't realize I was interrupting him. And by the way, my name is Evolution False, not Mr. Interrupty. Oh, goodness. So. <laughs> okay, Sh uh, Shannon, I mean, I thought you were done, but uh, did you have something else that you wanted to say there? Uh, I, I did, but I kind of lost it. Well, okay. I want to. I want to address. I mean, if you have, but but Shanna, I want to. I want to address though, what what for example you said. For example, you said, well, how do we know that he isn't lying to us, right? That that is that is one of the things that you mentioned, correct? Right. Okay. So how do how do we know that he isn't lying to us? Okay. Well, well, first of all, the the God that we presuppose as uh, uh, evolution falls said. Uh, has revealed, has told us that he does not lie. So by definition, the one we presuppose, but that's just one point. The second point would be, is that to assume that lying is bad, that it is something that should not be done, and therefore we couldn't trust somebody, is to also assume the same God that makes that foundation of that moral claim makes that possible. So that actually, it, it completely undermines your life. To... to to ask the question would simply be to be pulling the rug out from underneath your own feet. Right. Because I don't know. I don't. I don't think that I agree with that. It says a couple times in the Bible specifically that you know God would send a powerful delusion and let them believe the lie. Okay. That's oh, not, absolutely. Okay. That's completely different. Yeah. That's a category. Well, then God is capable of. No. What? You, okay. The mistake. Okay. Real, the real quickly here. The the Second Thessalonians is right. Two eleven. Right. Yeah. Second Thessalonians. What that is referring to is God is not uttering that either something is false or something that he knows is false from his mouth. God is allowing providentially circumstances to coalesce that when those circumstances um, uh, are in conjunction with a, a rebellious mind, that the rebellious mind 
the catalyst being the rebellious mind becomes deceived whereas if there is no rebellious mind there there is no deception so the second the second Thessalonians passage would not be an a, a contradiction to the statement God cannot lie He's simply he's simply allowing Shannon. What God is simply doing, he's simply allowing people to remain within their own willful deception. That's all it is. It says that he will send upon them a powerful delusion. That's correct. Now, are you exactly. familiar? With, okay, are you familiar with that? With within the Old and New Testament um, books, there are a number of statements where God is spoken of um, in using an, what we would call an idiomatic expression, and in this case, it would be referred to phenomenologically. Okay, as things appear. So as in, in Hebraisms, it many times speaks of God doing when it is, is actually just referencing that the fact that God sits on high providentially and he um, controls all circumstances except for the free uh, moral decisions of free agents. Okay? So when it says God will send, Okay, it means God in his providential direction is allowing circumstances to coalesce, whereupon when they meet in conjunction with the rebellious mind, that rebellious mind becomes further deceived. So there is no deception on God's part. Hmm, that's interesting. The deception is rooted and grounded within the nature of man himself. It's what he desires right. himself. Right. And so that's where the deception comes from. It does not come from the nature of God himself. Can I just make one comment? I don't think um, Shanna was making a moral evaluation saying your God could lie. I think she was just saying that it could be the case that he's not telling the truth. Um, so I don't think she was actually making a moral judgment. But the problem is this. The moment you invoke that, Shanna, you are altering the definition of the Christian God, and you are now talking about a different God. Right, as defined by whom? Right. So the point I'm trying to make no, is... No, that was a question. As right. defined by whom? By what well, the, how the Bible how the, the Bible defines God. The, there is another difficulty, though, Shannon. You you have to assume that that lying is is something that is a problem, that it's bad, or that it's not good, and so therefore you have to assume the the only way you can justify that particular assumption is to appeal to the God of the Bible. So no. to, no, to stop you, stop pump your brakes. Oh. <laughs> One, I don't think that lying is, is a bad thing. I think that sometimes it can be used in a horrific way, and sometimes it can be used in an extraordinarily beneficial way. Well, in relation to God here, though, uh, in relation to God, you said that um, if, if he did lie to us, or if he could lie to us, I'd maybe rephrase how you said it, but uh, if he could lie to us, then how is it that you know we could trust him? In that case, you would say that that's a bad thing, right? Well, not necessarily, right? Like, I omit things from my children on a regular basis because it's for their own good. Their little minds can't comprehend um, some of the things that I have to hang on, some of the things that I have to say or explain or what's going on in the world. You know, I, mean, I omit a lot. And there's times I'll even lie a little to my kids, and it is, in fact, for their own good. And certainly okay. you don't think that your God, you, you, you could understand and comprehend every single thing he would have to tell you. No, absolutely not. Well, All right. The, okay. um, the point that I was trying to make is this. <clears throat> that it logically and necessarily follows that if the Christian God exists, then we would know things because it would be true by definition. That doesn't mean that you accept that that is the case, but it would be true by definition. For example, if I said to you, Bozo the Clown is defined by having big shoes and a red nose, right? And then it would necessarily follow by definition that Bozo the Clown has 
a red nose and big shoes. But you could turn around and say, well, what if that Bozo the Clown actually has a blue nose and it's, um, you know, you misperceive it. That's not the point of what we're saying. What we're saying is you have one worldview that if that worldview, as it is defined and described, is the case that is true, then we would know certain things, including that the laws of logic are universal. This is what is defined within the parameters of the Bible. It doesn't matter whether you agree that the Bible is true or the word of God. Right? Now, if you reject that worldview, then you are in a state, whether you're a deist, skeptic, an atheist, where you cannot ascertain, you cannot account for the laws of logic. Therefore, any argument that you use to undergird, which would employ the laws of logic, is just basically incoherency. Well, I wouldn't grant that it's an incoherency. Right? Sure, but I mean, I do see what you're saying earlier. It, before you said the thing about incoherent, I, I do see what you're saying there, but I mean, uh, I disagree. I, obviously, I said, that it's necessary. If I said to you, whenever, whenever we're using arguments with somebody, okay, let's say you and I are discussing something that takes place halfway around the world. Mm -hmm. Whenever we're speaking, and of course, I'm speaking beyond just a mere temporary assumption, right? When we're speaking about something occurring, let's say. In the next town over, or, or halfway around the world, we're we're in, we're invoking the principle of identity. We're invoking the principle of non-contradiction and excluded middle, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that cannot be justified universally. You you cannot you cannot account that that is the case. Now, one might argue, well, it might necessarily be the case, and I could grant that, but there would be no way for you to know that. Therefore, from a from a de <clears throat> therefore from a deist point of view, from a skeptic's point of view, from an atheist point of view, that any attempt to have a an argumentation, logic, proof, would would collapse because there's no foundation of the laws of logic for them. None. Well, I mean that's not entirely true from a deistic standpoint, right? Well, it may be true for an atheistic standpoint. In some degrees, it's also wildly irrelevant, right? Because they don't have to account for it. That's just something you're asking of them. They don't actually have to account for it. But yeah, hang on, yeah. hang on. No, 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 no. I'll let you interrupt me the last time. I'm not going to do it this time. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So from a deistic standpoint, though, because the universe, because I, I'm compelled by the arguments that I am, because I believe the arguments that I do, I also do have certain beliefs regarding the creator. And I do believe that the creator intent created the universe in the way that it meant to. And I believe that it's also functioning correctly. And I do believe that we are functioning correctly for the most part. At least we have the capacity to. So I do trust logic because I believe that this creator made me with the ability, and all of us with the ability, to use it correctly. Okay, all your, just what you just stated right there <laughs> is you're telling us that you have a hunch. doesn't matter whether you trust it or you believe it. There would be no way, given your worldview, for you to, to know that. You could surmise that the deist God that you believe in has certain properties, but there would be no way for you to ascertain that whatsoever. Any more than there's plenty of ways for me to ascertain it. Which you mean I no, think what you meant be, rather not, than ascertain was to know for sure. Well, this no, was, no. At, this okay, was other than other than speculating, you wouldn't be able to know anything about the deist God. This was the other, question other I asked. Creating. This is the question I asked you earlier, Shanna, when you posited deism. Is you need to provide evidence and justification for your version of deism other mm -hmm. than your own subjectivity. 
Um, and I have nothing other than that subject. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's, that's, that's actually our point. Right. Um, no, actually, I appeal to Scripture, which is an objective uh, source of truth outside of myself. And that's where your assumption comes in, right? That's where the presupposition presupposition comes in. That's correct, well, but that makes sense of my world. I, I, that gives a cohesive, coherent worldview where I can justify the laws of logic. You're, you're trying to justify it from your own subjective deity that you've constructed. Okay, Shanna, um, do you believe that anything could be self-verifying? That anything could be self-verifying? Yeah. No. No. Okay, okay good. Then you are left in, in um, the state where you can't know anything. Because the, your only other recourse would be an appeal to an infinite uh, justification. <laughs> well, well, Christopher, I see you shaking your head there. Would you like to offer a counter to that? Yeah, that's a really good question. That's a really good question, Christopher. <laughs> so what, what am I responding to? Well, you seemed amused by what I said. Did you have an objection to what I said? Say it again. You seem to be amused. No, on no, 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 no. The, the thing that I responded to. Say that again, please. Oh, I, I said to Shanna, do you believe that anything is or could be self-verifying? And she said no. And then you said? And I said all you're left then would be for an infinite regress of verification. And you, you said it differently. You said uh, you've given up knowledge or? That's true. No, then you wouldn't be in a position to know anything. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay, good. Tell me why. Um, do you uh, do you think that I know things? Uh, you know things by virtue of the fact that the Christian God exists and has created a world that is consistent with His nature. I see that you see it that way. Um, I don't. Well, so, but Christopher, let's let's interact with. Uh, I just want to repeat the question, so because uh, I don't think yeah, you're interacting with it. Let, yeah, he, I don't think he's really understanding what I said. Yeah, uh, let me let me repeat it. So. Well, what he said is, do you believe there's anything self-verifying? And you said no. Well, then what you're left with is an infinite uh, regression of verification that never right. stops anywhere. Well, now, let me that's, just say that, but that's a fetishization of verifying, right? This is, this okay, is the, let me just say one thing. Well, hold on a second. You asked me to answer your question, so now I'm going to do so. Um, so uh, that is the whole argument against the presuppositional apologetic from the atheistic uh, perspective is the um, overvaluing of justifications and validating and things like that. Within our worldview, we accept that knowledge exists provisionally, certainty exists uh, on a continuum, and we are able to move forward and interact with reality without being able to account for the things that we experience, such as morality, ethics, and the laws of logic. So the, to, to take the extreme example and say that lacking that goes to an infinite regress of validity and we can't know anything, well, now you're using an idiosyncratic definition of what knowledge is, and if you use an idiosyncratic definition of anything, you can explain it as being or not being anything else. Okay, well, we're not, we're not using the definition of the word no as the way you, ju you just employed. Now, um, a, a lot of times people... Um, uh, misunderstand when we say you can't know anything. Um, I'm sure that Andy um, and Logical and I certainly believe that Shanna and um, excuse me, Christopher can know things, but that is only in virtue of due to the uh, properties of the Christian God and how he's made the world. Now, we're using the word knowledge mm -hmm. to mean something other than 
a belief or a strong belief. Now you said you, you wanted to believe that knowledge is on a spectrum of certainty. We are not using the vocabulary in the same way. Okay, want, I, so this okay, taps into, using, I, I using, agree. Okay, good. So the bottom line is this, from a skeptic's point of view, an atheist point of view, and including entirely a deist point of view, you cannot know anything in the, in the manner and way that we are using the word no. If you want to use the word no as mean to believe, then, then fine, you certainly believe things. Mm -hmm. But you're not in a position, you now no longer have a position to come to the table to argue about uh, anything. And the reason why is because the foundation of all your reasoning is, well, I just assume it. I believe it. No. Um, no, 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 no. That's so well, incredibly but, wrong. But, but Christopher, that is what you just said. You just said you assume all these things. You just listed a whole bunch of things that you just assume. Is there anything that you are 100% certain about, Christopher? No. Um, no. Okay, okay, good. So and that, what that, mean, what that on, means is on, you just have beliefs. Hold on a second. So just here's the language that you're using. So and once again, this goes all the way back to what Jason and I discussed about an hour ago, where operational definitions, right? If you're going to dismiss everything that I say because I'm using the word knowledge differently than you, and then claiming that I can't have a discussion or I have nothing to bring to the table, I'm hearing some weird static. Um, stop it, microphone. Then you know that that is merely an example of what Jason and I talked about earlier, which is that we're just using different definitions of knowledge, right? So uh, if and also the language that you're using, I just have beliefs, as if beliefs don't uh, have any capital. Um, I'm merely making assumptions, as if assumptions uh, don't have any capital. Consistently, okay. with I'm, I'm not finished with my point. I just ramped up to it. So uh, consistently within my worldview the basal assumptions that I have, beliefs or knowledge is merely a collection of beliefs, and beliefs are assumptions. So I have, a, obviously, that's why I agree that we have different definitions, but you're moving forward as though your definition is absolutely correct and mine's not, and that's not, that's not, um, that, once again, that violates my social contract on how to have a discussion. We can talk about why we have different definitions of knowledge, but to dismiss something because I don't adhere to your criteria of a definition, that's just, I don't know where to go forward with that for a discussion. Well, well most people, um, when you want to talk about social contract, I don't understand that cliche at all, but uh, most people are using words as they are, they are commonly understood. So when I'm using words, uh, except on rare occasions, and it, unless I specify it, I'm using words that, that the average person, like for, for example, um, if, if I had um, a billion pennies at the treasury, and one of them was marked black, and I reached in and I just randomly grabbed one in my hand, and I don't open it up and I can't see it, and I say to you, Christopher, this is an ordinary non-black penny. Do I know it or believe it? Um, I have no idea. That example kind of okay. uh, was was a bit of a red herring. So no, no, it's not a red herring but because it, it, it illustrates. But it is because it, let me explain why. No, it's not a red herring. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I feel that it is a red herring because a moment ago you said that you're using the the definition of knowledge in a very specific way. And then just now you said, when I use words, I'm using them like colloquially, like everyone else uses them. 
What I'm going to yeah. posit is that your definition of knowledge is probably different than mine. You may be using the platonic mm -hmm. definition of knowledge, justified true beliefs, and uh, I am persuaded for the critiques of that, such that, and I think that Shannon and I share this, the concept of knowledge and the definition of knowledge is, is trivial and really not important to things. Because, once again, as much as you would like to show that my worldview is inconsistent or incoherent or absurd or whatever, I'm not interested in doing that to you. I'm more than happy to accept that we're using different definitions for terms, and so long as you're being a productive member of society, go with whatever the belief worldview system that you have. Okay, good. So when I said I was using the word knowledge in a specific way, I was specifically using it in its ordinary sense, not not in an unordinary sense. So now, could you so tell me... You, could you define that for me? Just I mean, before we move on, I mean, please just lay out what you mean by knowledge. Yeah, like most, mo most people may not be able to formally articulate this, but they will. They will believe that knowledge is something that is more than a mere uh, true true belief, or even a strong belief. That one is entirely justified in ma making a statement about a positive state of affairs, and it's not just it's not just a belief that is true that what one may let's say have 98% certainty okay now the fact of the matter is and the, the reason why my question about the uh, pennies was not in fact a red herring as as you alluded to is because it illustrates here a probabilistic scenario so you could it doesn't even matter if it's a billion pennies it could be a trillion trillion pennies if i reached in and i grabbed one penny and only one out of the trillion trillion pennies is black and I grab one and I, I hold it in my hand can't see it and I say to you that this is a normal non-black penny do I know it or do I believe it so your definition your definition of knowledge is just a, stati a statistical guess that's all it is you d you're not you're not using the word knowledge that most people have as in certainty you mean less than certain so you're yeah, using the word can... knowledge in a non-standard way I'll throw it to you just in one second, Shannon. So right. what I said was knowledge is provisional and it is tethered to a level of certainty. And, talking, and, in, and if you want to use the way that people use the word knowledge, it is used in such a variety of ways. And in philosophical circles, uh, epistemology is a branch where knowledge is uh, uh, actively argued, right? I know, I can say that I know my car is parked out front. My level of certainty is not as high as I know that I have a webcam in front of me. My certainty of the webcam is higher than the one about the car because I know I parked the car outside, but somebody could have broken in and taken it. So I can't have a high level of certainty of that. I know that there's ice cream in the freezer because I just ate a little bit. But I'm, filled, I'm in a house filled with people who love ice cream. So the probability that that is true, my certainty of it, is a little bit lower than the fact that I have an empty coffee cup in front of me, right? That yeah. is a knowledge claim. I know this is a coffee cup, and my level of certainty is more is maximal because it's in my hand. My level of certainty of my of other knowledge claims is minimal. Are you are you just admitting then that you can you can have what we would call certainty versus less than complete certainty? Certainty. I can have maximal certainty. I can be okay. Are, confident. are you saying that you can be certain of anything? What do you mean by certainty? I just I just explained. Complete, I can have confidence. Complete, okay, we're not talking about a probabilistic belief. But but I am. So to take it out of the way that I'm using it, 
is not the way that I'm using okay. it. Okay, okay, maximal means less less than a hundred percent, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So the bottom line is this is every time you speak on, on an issue, mm -hmm. you're the foundation for everything you're saying is just a probabilistic statement. Yeah, but you said you say just. Uh, so, so from from your perspective, and I, I accept that you have this. Anything less than a hundred percent doesn't have the value that I'm giving it. To me, ninety-five percent, relatively speaking, has more value than twenty-five percent when it comes to certainty of knowledge claims. Okay. I accept that you don't see it that way, but I know that Shannon wanted to say something earlier, so I'd like to throw it to her. I kind of forget what my point was. I should have wrote it. What down. are you doing? I know, I'm he was so talking sorry. about uh, knowledge and certainty and. Right. Well, but I so, want to throw this back at you, Christopher. So, okay. are are you uh one hundred percent certain, or just probably certain? Are you one hundred percent certain that you you measure knowledge based upon a scale of maximal certainty? I'm maximally certain of it. You're just maximally certain of it, but you're not. You're not one hundred. Well, once again, you're That's you're awesome. using the word just uh, as a rhetorical move to devalue. The way that I'm using my terms, and and I accept that because I accept that we don't agree it's about this. It's not rhetorical. It's not rhetorical. In fact, it is. No, no, it isn't. It's I'm maximally certain of it. No, what, when you say it's rhetorical, you're you're basically um, time trying to uh, depreciate that. The fact of the matter, the fact oh, no, of the matter is, all you're simply all you're simply telling us, all you all you are simply telling us that you have maximal certainty. Is that you have a higher level of a probability of a guess? Yes. Good. Then we can dismiss everything you say. If if that's what you would like to do, you're more than welcome to do so, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm here to have a discussion. Jason wants to have a discussion with me. If he wants to dismiss everything that I'm saying, I wouldn't understand why he would invite me. He knows what my position is before I come here. If you want to dismiss everything I say, please don't talk to me. No, that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point is when I say I can dismiss the content, it does not entail that I'm being rude to you, nor, nor that I'm not interested in hearing what you're saying. What I am saying is the content of what you're saying mm -hmm. is just a probabilistic guess and nothing more. Yes, and you don't value that. Is that a correct, is that a correct assumption? Why, why, why should I value it? You, you don't have to. But uh, I'm, well, well, hold on a second, uh, Andrew. Uh, so I'm not saying that you have to value it. Okay. So when you say but, but, there's but hold no on a second. God, please, please ask, please answer the question without answering with a question, please. Yeah. What's does the question? Less, what, so does that have less value to you? The fact that my knowledge is uh, probabilistically uh, based. I, I think it's not so much that it has less value. Is it you? You have nothing. What you say really isn't substantive in any and does, way. And does having substance have value? Uh, I I, th I think to most people it would, and to does, God it does. Does it to you? Yes. Okay, so it is of yeah. less value. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't think. Let me just say one more thing. So basically, all you're expressing in your response mm -hmm. is everything is just a matter of taste. Then. That's not the case. And if you if you would like okay. my opinion about that, I'd be happy to answer a pointed question. Okay, good. Is there anything that's objective in your worldview? That is objective. Yes, there is an objective reality. How um, do you know that? Is, how, uh, depends on what you mean by no. I know it provisionally. Okay, so so basically, it's a probabilistic guess that something is objective. 
It is a probabilistic assertion based on my assumptions and belief base, which forms my knowledge base. But Christopher, that's self-refuting. To say that it's probably objective is not objective. Yeah. It's it's self-refuting maybe in a philosophical sense, but none of us here are professional philosophers. And as far as working through the reality of my experienced life, it serves me quite well. Okay, good. When you say when you say um, uh, that it's objective, it would mean that it would be it would be mind independent, right? Yes. Okay, good. So when you say prob probable, means you're you're deriving a guess, which is a subjective evaluation. So right. he was correct when so, saying what you said is self-refuting. No, you're you're flipping um, perspectives, right? I'm talking about my beliefs, and you're talking about things that exist outside of my beliefs. I'm not you making told me some things are objective. Please don't interrupt. Um, I was making a claim about my belief of things that are objective. So my um, probabilistic knowledge is about that belief. I wasn't making a claim that objective things do exist, and because it's not about that, you can't take my probabilistic and provisional understanding of knowledge and apply it to that thing. There's, there's two different things that this is being framed as, and you're flip-flopping between the two. I'm talking about one, you're talking about another, and that's how I'm perceiving this conversation. Hey, so Andy, uh, Andy, I want to give Andy... I think Andy wanted to say something. Yeah, I'm confused about something. So is there a difference between... This is a question for Christopher. 100% certainty and maximal certainty. What's the difference between those two? Max, uh, 100%... 100%. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's upset, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, one hundred percent certainty is is absolute, right? Um, I, I as confident for me, certainty is a um, variable that can be interchanged with confidence. I can have maximal confidence, but because I like to leave open the the philosophical option that as many uh, as possible as things are, they're always tethered to a probability. Um, I always leave myself a little wiggle room. So think of it that way. So 100% certainty is 100%. Maximal certainty is 99.99999%. It's an asymptote that never reaches the 100. So all your that all of your all of your arguments, all of your reasonings are just guesses. This is that's the fourth time you said that. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But but you're saying just as a way that, as you know, as the way, as what you accused me of doing when I said you're using it as a rhetorical move is what you're doing by saying just guesses mm -hmm. that is devaluing it in some way, and that the way that you're is. using and the way that you're using guesses is um, a, a shorthand way of colloquially um, uh, devaluing my understanding of assumptions, beliefs, and knowledge. Okay, is it something more than a guess? It is a yes. Good. Could you elucidate that for us, please? It is an educated guess. It's still a guess, right? It is. What do you mean by guess? A guess is a is a is a statement. It is your statement um, about a state of affairs that you don't know in the ordinary usage of the word no. Mm -hmm. That I don't know. Um, I'll answer it like this. I have models within which I work in reality 
and they are based on assumptions, which could be called guesses. I'm just going. I'm going to embrace um, your use of the term guess. Yes, it's a guess. It's a and my guesses have value in a way that they don't for you. Okay, good. Since you you said that you don't believe in God because there's no evidence, why should why should we believe in your beliefs even though you say they're maximal when you act can't provide evidence uh, in in an ordinary sense of knowing things? You shouldn't. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, and this is ultimately goes back to Christopher. I had asked you this question the last time we had this discussion. Is you know from from your position. My question is, is I know that you show up at these discussions, um, mm -hmm. but the question would be is, is why? I'm interested in the individual differences of how people think and why. But if yours is just based upon guesses, you know, who cares that the other people's are just guesses also, I guess, according to you. And I, and I would say that you, you would say, let me ask you this question. Are you saying that your worldview is actually a reflection of reality and that I live in that same worldview, and that my stuff is just as much provisional guesses as yours is. Is that what you would say? My understanding of human nature and psychology would direct me to say yes. Okay, as so humans, as, and, that's, and to answer your previous question, why? Um, because I think that individual differences and in how people believe and why are interesting. And they motivate so why me would to you towards these discussions. Why would you come to these discussions, though, if we're just all basing it upon guesses? None of us have objective reasons for why we believe what we believe. So if we're just all because, guessing, why because, even have discussions? Because the individual differences are interesting. So that's the only reason. There's no reason to engage in logical argumentation, to try to discover objective truth. It's just uh, it's because it's a fun social event. Pretty would you, much. Okay, Christopher, <laughs> would you would you would you say all conclusions about reality are are only guesses? All con human conclusions, yes. Okay, is is what is is that statement just a guess too? Yes. Okay, okay good. So so the the point the point is this: then whatever content you present to us, mm -hmm. we we can't be certain about anything you say, and since there's no certainty. There's not really a reason for us to believe in it. Just like when you say you don't believe in God because there's an absence of evidence, there's an absence of certainty. So there's not really any substantive reason why we should believe anything you say given the foundation of your worldview. Okay. So once again, we're talking about the difference between making claims outside of my skin and making claims about my beliefs. What you can assume is that I am certain that I believe what I believe. Well, you mean certainty. You, you, mean, you mean maximal certainty. Yes. Yeah. Certainty along a scale. I have a, a degree okay, of certainty based okay, on specific you don't knowledge in, claim. You don't believe in the existence of certainty in the normal usage of the word. I don't know what you claim as normal usage. Well, cer cer certainty would mean where 100%. You, you believe something and it's entirely justified to be uh, objectively true. So when you well, Objectively true. Day, well, hold on a second. That's not a certainty. That is a certitude. Certainty is just my confidence about my beliefs. That's correct. That, that is what, correct. But you just use the word objective in defining certainty. Right. Well, if something would be a certitude, it would then also be objectively true because right. a certitude would apply to all uh, subjective beings. But that's my not what we're talking about. We're talking my, about certainty. Hold on a second. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, if something is a certitude, you can be certain about it. But that, is, that does not mean that certainties lead to certitudes. 
Well, in your worldview, you there couldn't be uh, any certitude or certainty. You just I, admitted I that. I, I don't in, know in how. Abs- in absolute terms, you're correct. Okay, good. So when you when you say certainty, mm-hmm. you don't mean the word certainty as is normally used by people. You're using it in in um in a proprietary sense. No. I mean, yeah. I I don't think that you um well first of all, I don't think that you get to um be the arbiter of what most people think. The people that I talk to use the word certainty the way that I'm using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, My, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about cliques of uh, skeptics. I'm talking about ordinary people on the street that you would run. I, from, I, don't, I don't see you as an authority that gets to dictate that. No, I'm My, not an authority. I'm simply talking about the common usage, so I'm not claiming to be an authority. But in order to make that claim about common usage, you would have to know everybody to understand. Okay, what and is what you just said a guess? It's my understanding. So, okay, so, but, 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 Christopher, I want to jump in here. I don't think that you live your life as if things are just guesses. When you go to work and you interact with other uh, scientists in your lab, mm-hmm. you guys aren't just going, well, you know, th- these are just. You, you don't live your life as if everything is simply just a guess, and it's just that's just his guess, and this is my guess. If that's the case, why even have governments? Why even have governments to even have discussions uh, and come up with laws? That, that uh, this you... only makes sense within a Christian worldview. From your worldview that everything is just a subjective guess, you have your guess, I have my guess, you know, who cares? Who, who cares what anyone else does? Why even, why even work together? Why even develop governments? Why even develop laws of, you know, to, to govern a society? Well, that's so, just... That, uh, I need you to ask ask me a more pointed question because at first you said that I don't live my life according to certainty, and then you brought up why are there governments, and I'm not really seeing the connection between okay. the two. Okay, so I say that you don't live your life as if everything is just a subjective guess. Why? Let's let's unpack that. Why don't I? Okay. Well, you actually go to work and you interact with people and you have conversations mm-hmm. as if there are objective truths. You why? Live, why is that? Wh- where, where does the objective truth part come in? Okay, somebody else makes an argument, and you go, oh, okay, well... And that argument is their guess. Exactly, and it's just their own subjective guess. So why should you entertain it? Why should they entertain your guesses? Because uh, from my past experience, I realized that there are threads of continuity between the individuals I interact with, such that we can make assumptions that we have a meeting of the minds about a majority of how life works within that majority of how life works. There are different ideas and individual differences, and they get discussed. Okay, but there's no, there's no connection point anymore between other subjective individuals because they're just, they, just, they just have their guesses, you have yours. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no interaction point because there's no shared objective reality. Now, there's let's, no shared keep, objective let's, keep, reality. let's keep in mind... Let's keep, in mind, let's keep in mind. No, it doesn't. Uh, let's keep in mind that you, the way that you're using guesses... I define them as assumptions, which are beliefs, which form knowledge, right? So you keep hammering the, the word guess. They're just guesses. They're just guesses. They're just guesses. From my perspective, it's yes, those guesses are the assumptions that form knowledge and beliefs. Do you the have knowledge any... that I'm not But done. they're just yours. Uh, hold on a second, right? It's, they're not just mine. The people that I interact with have similar values and goals to mine, and that allows us to all move forward. Well, they might be that's, common, that's, that's but they're just objective. Yeah, that mm-hmm. they might be common between you and other subjective individuals, mm-hmm. but that's just their subjective, you know, guess also about how reality should be. Exactly. It's, not, it's it. You have you have no position 
anymore in order to even interact with, even if they agree with you, you have no... Why? Uh, you have no you, objective reality because you all you just, have is your you own... Just jumped, you just jumped the shark because I have subjective individual differences from others that have subjective individual differences. We can't interact? I need, I need you to... If there is no... That. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, build that out a little bit more. If all we are is mm -hmm. subjective and we have no objective reality of which we interact with one another in, if there is no, then there is no connection point. I think there is an objective reality. I mean, how do you even? Oh, there is an objective reality. Is that mm -hmm. is that uh, is that something that is once again? I think it's self-refuting to say that it is. Uh, uh, what was your what was your term that you used? Uh, it was it was probably it was probably objective. I think was the term that you used. No, I said that maximally certain. I was yeah, maximally that. certain in my belief of an objective reality. Right. So maximal certainty applies to. I'm not done, applies to my belief, not about objective reality or the existence of it. But that's just your guess. You don't know if that's actually... It is a basal assumption of mine. It is a yeah. presupposition that there is an objective reality. Okay, so you believe things without evidence? Some of them uh, depends on what you mean by evidence. Okay. Well, how could you have actual evidence in the normal usage of the word if everything is subjective? How there could some... anything... In the, in the ordinary, normal evidence. models are based on assumptions, and those are presuppositions. Okay, so you, so you believe things for which there is no evidence for. for which It depends on what you're talking about. Yeah, well, in the, in the normal usage of the word evidence, mm -hmm. okay, you, you, you have no evidence for, for the things that you believe in. For what? For anything you believe in. Anything that I believe in. Now, you have no you're evidence. Me, you're painting in broad usage. strokes right now. No, no. I'll, let me so repeat I what have... I'm saying. Okay. Let me repeat it, and then you can comment. Okay. Under the normal usage, the way ordinary people use the word evidence, mm -hmm. you have no evidence foundationally for the things that you believe in. That doesn't make any sense. That, yeah, that it was... makes, it, yeah, it does make sense. No, listen. Okay, listen. Okay. First of all, you don't have to be so aggressive. Calm down. Okay. No, Second, instead I of talk. saying, instead of saying, you know, yes, it does make sense. Maybe you could explain exactly what it is that you mean and why you think it makes sense. I'm not a five-year-old, and neither is Chris. Yeah. Well, I'm not talking down to anybody, and I'm sorry. You you like, are. I'm, sorry I'm sorry you don't necessary. like the tone of my voice. That is just the matter in which which I speak. Now, when when no, he when when he says he doesn't believe in God, he says so because there's no evidence. But then he has all of these beliefs, and he's inconsistent with his principle. Well, no, because well, under, you, under you, the ordinary, you know, you asked me not to interrupt you. Oh, please, please. Hey, over, overlapping me. overlapping conversations you, you, and natural. You have a double standard. You see, you request that I not interrupt you mm. or interject, and yet you feel free to do the same to me. Gonna, that's what we, that's what we call a double standard. So sure. I'd like to finish what I was saying. I'm sure you would, but you keep making the claim. No, I'd like to finish without sure being would. interrupted. I'm I'd sure like to finish. You made a claim I'd like that to wasn't finish true. without okay. being interrupted. Okay, okay, okay. I'd like to finish without being interrupted. You made a claim about me that isn't true. I'd like to finish without being interrupted. Okay, everybody. Okay, hold on, hold on. You see, you have a double standard. Actually, just just hold on. Everybody stop. Okay, so Christopher, what? Let's first let's let's hold on to that thread of uh, thread of conversation. But you said that there was something that wasn't true, Christopher. What what is it? Yeah, th uh, this is one of multiple times uh, that uh, evolution claimed that the the 
I don't believe in God because of evidences, and that is after I already admitted that evidences aren't an important factor. I don't believe in God because of the personal revelation that I didn't have. I don't really consider that an evidence. I consider that an experience. And it seems to be a trope that he likes to pull out to make a larger point. And if the thing he's basing it on isn't true, I question the validity of the larger point upon which he's, he's going to make. Okay. Well, um, well, I'll let evolution respond. I'd like to respond to that. Earlier, I, I asked Christopher, I said, you know, you're an atheist. He said, yes. Mm -hmm. And I asked him to define atheism. And he basically said that his atheism was propositional, that there is no God. And I said, could you give me one good reason that there is not a God? Now, usually people step forward with, with their best position. And he said, well, there's no evidence for God. Now he's changing his tune. That that he's he's depreciating the idea that he asserts that there is no God, not because there's no evidence, but because he hasn't uh, been given revelation. So now he's flip-flopping on his main reason of not believing in God. Can I reply? <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm being completely consistent. I may have been inarticulate in the way that I was answering your questions, but the way I was answering your questions were based on the way you framed your questions. Um, I'm on the record uh, over the past several years of answering the question of why I don't believe in God or what would make me believe in God as having the personal revelation and subjective experience that would change the way I see things. Once that change had occurred, the things that I don't see as evidence now would be seen as evidence then. So that's why, that is the crucial reason why the evidences argument isn't really something that I consider of value. You're absolutely right. I gave the answer that you're claiming that I gave. The reason why I'm not interested in talking about evidences or uh, providing you evidence or a good argument for ev the evidence argument, I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think it has traction because I don't have the belief. The belief is the starting point, perception follows from that, and the evidences are what are perceived based on belief. I lack that belief. No, it's not that you merely lack belief. You told us earlier that you asserted there was no God, so you, sure. that was a propositional claim, not, Indeed, not, a mere, not, not a mere state of mind where you good. lacked a positive affirmation due to insufficiency of reasons. Very good. So uh, I was inarticulate right there. It's not just that I lack that belief. I have a belief that there is no God, but it is not based on an evidence argument. Well, that was the first answer that you gave me. I said, could you give me one good reason why you assert there is no God? And you said, because there's no evidence. Okay, uh, I'm going I'm to tie this up real quick. He retracted that. Christopher retracted that. Um, okay, well, that's uh, good. He, he did. He just retracted that. I'm, I'm correct, Christopher. You did. Yes, I was answering your questions based on the way you framed the questions. Okay, so you, you assert that there is no God because you haven't received revelation? Yes. Okay, good. Why would that logically and necessarily follow? It doesn't have to not logically follow. You can't be reasoned okay. to religion from my perspective. No, I didn't say religion. I said God. Okay, you can't be reasoned into supernatural from my perspective. Okay, so, so basically what you're telling us, you assert there is no God, but mm -hmm. that your reason does not logically necessarily follow. Logically, nope. I think that is fetishizing uh, philosophy and logic to... to to have that as the only way to get towards uh, the existence or not. Okay, so, of God. so there is there is no God, according to you, because no, 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 no. no. Once again, not, this, can I finish, please, without well, being? Well, no, you just you just said you. you just made. Well, let, let, let him let him correct. Uh, 
uh, he does say, I think you took on a more agnostic position, Christopher, I believe. I don't, well, I don't actually, it's called flip-flopping. Name-calling. What plan? No, no, it's not name-calling. I didn't call your name. I said you're flip-flopping. Very I'm talking good. about what you're doing. Very good. So you are talking about me making a claim about something that does or doesn't exist. And what I'm doing, and this is at least the fifth time that I've said this, what I'm doing is talking about my beliefs. I have a belief that there is no God. Okay, so now address begin... my belief. Okay, good. Well, I'm addressing your propositional claim. I asked you earlier when we started the conversation, I said, mm -hmm. does your atheism entail a propositional content? Mm -hmm. And you said, yes, there is no God. So you went on beyond merely oh, no, telling no, no, us no, that no, your no, atheism no. was oh, no, a no, no, state no, no. of mind or merely the absence of a positive belief. No, so does your I'm... atheism entail pro a propositional content, Christopher? My atheism is the belief that there is no God. Okay, good. That, that has pro does that have prop does that that's a mere state that's uh, is that is that it? Is that does your belief have you are you are falling content? over your tongue trying to find a way to corner me based on my very no, I'm clear trying to, I'm trying to articulate no what I'm what I'm trying to do is to articulate something that you won't twist. Now I'm asking I'm asking you, does okay. does your state of mind mm -hmm. represent propositional content? I don't I never I have no idea. I would have to think about those words. In order okay, to give you a, earlier when I asked you, are you asserting that there is no God, you said yes. Do you now assert that there is no God? Everything that comes out of my mouth is my opinion based on my beliefs. I believe that there is no God. Okay. Is I don't that, know how that, to be more clear about it. I'm not making a claim that there is no God. I am making the claim that I have a belief that there is no God. Do you understand yeah, the that, difference between yeah, that? Yeah, that's a distinction with no difference. Well, that's let a me distinction ask. with a significant difference. No, no, there okay, difference saying, what, saying what you believe to be true okay, mm -hmm. is a statement of the belief, right? which mm -hmm. is what a proposition is. It's yeah, just, and, in philosophy, yeah. which you know, it is essentially what you believe to be true. right? Now, forwarding an argument to argue for the fact of the matter is significantly different than stating what it is that we believe is the fact of the matter. Well, let, let me ask you this question, uh, Christopher. Does your belief apply to me also? So in other words, uh, let, let, me, let me clarify before you, you answer this. But you say that you believe there is no God. So does that apply to me too? Do I also live in a reality where there is no God? I can't think for you. Right? No, no, no. I, no, no, no. Well, hold on a second. That's that's a that's a that's part one of my answer. Part two is my understanding of reality is such that because I have a belief that God doesn't exist, that uh, my explanation for your belief that He does exist is explained by my understanding of psychology and my experiences and the theories about the things that we're talking about, the metaphysical things, the morality, laws of logic, ethics um, that resonate with me. Well, I'm not talking about, yes, I know that we have different beliefs, Christopher. What I'm saying is you say you believe there is no God. So yes. if we exist in the same reality, do you believe we exist in the same objective reality? You told me earlier you believed in objective reality, right? Yes. Okay. So my, my understanding of reality is that there is no God. Okay, so then if we both live in the same reality, and you said mm -hmm. your understanding of reality is there is no God, then in my reality there also is no God. 
um, you're a, I'm not making a claim about objective reality, right? So, uh, to to put it in most blunt terms, well, I think that I'm right and you're wrong. That doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. I am compelled by my opinion, like all humans. Okay, but okay, I I heard two different things. I heard you say earlier that it it did apply to reality. There is no God, and now no, just a little I, bit ago I, you. I, that is that is not my position. Okay, so so in reality, you don't. God does exist. In objective reality, God could exist. Okay, so okay, so that's an agnostic position. So you just you don't know. He could possibly exist in objective reality. I don't know that God exists. That God doesn't exist. Okay, good. Then you're not an atheist under the standard definition. I've and I've said this several times in this conversation. Um, labels are unimportant to me. I, uh, my definition of atheism could be another person's definition of agnosticism. It doesn't bother. It doesn't hurt my feelings to not be called. So, an so do you think we should be used in a conversation being use words um, any which way we want, or should we be using uh, English words um, as they are usually used? Well, I think that there should be operational definitions and a meeting of the mind on those definitions yeah, for discussion to move forward. And I want to actually go to the thing about words because, uh, Christopher, you're often asking us to define uh, the different words that we're using when we're using in them in the common usage. Do you believe words actually have an objective meaning that we can actually have conversations with? Or you, you don't no, that would, no, that would be denotative. The meaning of words are conventional. Okay, so so okay, so so basically, what you're telling me is, uh, you the way the manner in which you are using and defining atheism is it is a state of mind where you don't affirm the existence of God due to the insufficiency of reasons. You neither affirm nor deny, right? Man, you're using. I don't. I don't understand what's not clear about. I have a belief that God doesn't exist. It it seems okay. like you're everything. All of your questions seem like they're asked in bad faith for a setup to something I already know is going to happen, which is you're going to say that I have nothing to contribute and no content. And no matter how many times you say it, because you've said it several times, I will re I will reply with that doesn't matter to me. Okay. So there are three basic positions that one can take on the existence of something or God for that matter. According one to the firm. Okay. Uh, ac according to logic and reason. And you're the arbiter of what is logical and reasonable. Uh, okay. And are you? No, but I don't. I don't take the stance. Then, then, I don't take then, the stance then, then, then of the student. With my, well, hold on a second. You asked me a question. Well, you interrupted me. You interrupted me in mid sentence. I'm trying to figure out where you're getting okay. the. See, okay. what's happening Good. is your turn. Well, just let me. I'll make two seconds. It seems like you are putting yourself in a position of an educator, and I am the student, and I do not accept those terms. Okay, good. I'm going to basically put forward here three basic positions. If you feel that this is a false uh, trichotomy, you're welcome to introduce a fourth position. Okay? Okay. I, I like the way you just phrased that. Good. Well, I didn't even need to say that, but I'll, I'll move on. Um, there are three basic positions that one could have toward the existence of anything or God. One would be to affirm the existence. Mm -hmm. The other one would be to deny that. Mm -hmm. Or one where one... Uh, is in a state of, of ignorance and not knowing um, with absolute certainty or not. 
which of those three positions do you take on the existence of God? Do you affirm, deny, or are you in an area where you do, you do not know? It depends on what you mean by those words. I guess because I have a belief that God doesn't exist, I could be denying it, but in other ways of using the word deny, it means that you're going against something that is true. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'll put myself on the third option. Okay, okay, good. So basically, I, I what, don't we, know enough basically what we've seen here today, basically mm -hmm. what we've seen here today, um, starting with the beginning of the conversation with Christopher is now, what he has flip-flopped from making a propositional statement that there is no God by virtue of the fact that there was no evidence. Now he's, now he's taking the agnostic position. So he's flip-flopping between the affirmation there is no God to I don't know. Um, that's, I, that's not even close to what happened at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I respectfully mean, disagree. I accept that you now, I'm that. about to respectfully disagree as well. I, See, ex I accept that you believe that, Sean. So, Excellent. That's yeah. wonderful language to use. That helps yeah. the conversation. Yeah. Move forward. yeah, I just thought I would throw that little silly cliche in there for humor. Silly. Yes, oh, I do. I do think it's silly. This is this is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So, <laughs> Chris can have the belief that there is no God, and then when you press him and question him about what, whether or not he knows that, and then he answers that, it doesn't then make him an agnostic. It means he's answering the questions that you have pointedly asked, to a degree, about no, knowledge. I did say that. I said, Christopher, do you affirm, deny, or do you take the position that you don't know? Right, and I, the way that you... I, I asked him what he affirmed. Knowledge. Right. And, so and I, it depends, however you want to put it, right? I have a belief that God doesn't exist. Whatever mm -hmm. of those three categories you would like to place it in, place it in. It's really not a, a difficult question. Is there a fourth option? No, I don't think Does, so. Uh, <laughs> so basically, so basically, you're saying, I don't know, right? Basically, uh, yes. I'm saying that I don't know whether God exists, but I think there is a high probability that he doesn't. And therefore, I'm going to let that assumption lead to my belief that there is no God. Okay, that's double talk. You just contradicted yourself. I know that you think it's double talk because you have these You have these practiced ways of asking questions because you, you have you have a you have a very savvy you're a smart cat. You're the Taylor Ham guy, if I remember correctly. I had a conversation with you about Taylor Ham and Pork Roll. I just yes. recognized your voice from a while ago. Um, that's a good you have a good memory. You like that? Yeah. Uh, you're Jersey boy. Uh, that's where I'm originally. That that's where I was raised. Yeah, so I mean, you're you're a smart cat, and you have a, a way of understanding philosophy that allows you to make the arguments that you want to make. I'm not interested in arguing, right? Y your goals seem to be very different from mine, and that seems to be where you're seeing that I'm uh, flip flopping or whatever. I consider this a casual conversation, and you're holding me to answers that I gave that were off the cuff, potentially inarticulate, and even if they weren't, I reserve the right to change my mind. You might call it flip-flopping, and that might earn points for you for people that believe what you believe, but that's, that is not the conversation I'm interested in, right? And, and you've been doing all the question asking. I would like to know why you have the beliefs that you believe, what beliefs you do have, and also, without being asked, these weird questions without being told that I'm using silly rhetorical uh, moves 
or, or anything like that. I mean, th the bottom line is you very much want to show how wrong I am. I'm not interested in reciprocating that to you. So that's we're talking past each other. Well, I, I see that you're rather defensive, um, and, and usually this is see, this is the problem. A That's lot of a bold assertion. I am I'm setting I, boundaries. I, I accept I accept that you believe that that's a bold assertion. How do you Very like that good. cliche? Is that that's a good awesome. cliche? Good, uh, good. If you want to call it a cliche, I like that. I like using smarmy cliches. Um, so smart. Bottom line is, okay, you, you seem defensive right now. No, no, I'm not. I'm the same that I that, that I always am. What okay? you don't accept that I believe that? No, I'm just being smarmy, just like you were throughout the conversation. Smarmy. Yeah, smarmy. I think that's a very good word to use. Yeah, uh, so anyway, it. where we were. So my point, the point is this, is when atheists, in my experience, as in your case here that, that uh, in questioning, when they get f confronted with their own incoherencies and inconsistencies and even flip-flopping, they want to turn the tables by uh, making the person who's posing the question about the... Um, uh, substance and validity of their atheism as the bad guy, where you're just what you just pulled was was a kind of like an ad hominem psychoanalysis on me, telling, trying to suggest what my motives are. The bottom line is here is this: you affirmed a propositional statement that there is no God. Mm -hmm. Then, upon questioning of your position, there were no unfair or gotcha questions. You became incoherent. I accept you, that you believe and you, that. And you, and you, were, you were flipping. You can stop with your little smart, smart, uh, smarmy cliches. I'm not some you, 15 you sound year old. defensive. No, I'm not defensive at all. But you mm -hmm. see, in a conversation slash debate like this, this is uh, not you, a debate. You, you, can, you can continue with your smarmy remarks with, I accept that you believe. In fact, you use that quite a bit. I do, because I do um, accept that you believe these things. Okay, good. That then is, it's, that's the crux of what I'm saying. Good, good. And it, it's, why it's we believe non, what it's we al believe. It's almost, it's, almost, it's almost an unnecessary thing for you to say. I'm acknowledging okay. what you're saying. Okay, good. It's a diversionary tactic. Anyway, the point, the point is this is, you started your atheism, and I asked you to define it. You're going to watch us through you this. You give a good reason. Excuse you, me for talking while you I were think, interrupting. I think that you think Excuse that. Excuse me for talking while you were interrupting. Excuse me, I didn't interrupt you. I didn't interrupt you. Obviously, you have an agenda. You you want to interrogate me, right? <laughs> well, how how does that taste? How does that taste? Do you, do you like getting some of your own medicine? Oh yeah. Good. That's Good, because I can use I can use your own cliches against you as well. So I'd like to finish without being interrupted. Go ahead. Good. Okay, I'm going to end this conversation here sure. in about 10 minutes. So okay, okay, good. So the, what I want to just say in wrapping up is um, Christopher started out uh, by his own words, no trick questions, no only questions, that he was uh, asserting that there was no God. Now what he's done is he has flip-flopped to going back to just saying, well, I believe, and then he says, well, I don't know. So now he's flip-flopped to a, a, what, what we would call agnosticism, which is a, an acknowledgment of ignorance. But prior, he wasn't making a statement of ignorance. He says, there is no God because there's no evidence. So you see, this is what happens. When you question atheists, once they've made a propositional claim that there is no God, and you question them in, their, in terms of their reasoning with fair and pointed questions, they completely flip-flop and turn into agnostics, and I'm done. Okay. You, you overvalue um, how smart and important your uh, line of questioning is. Okay. All righty. Well, uh, thank you all for joining in today. Uh, 
um, is uh, Andrew, did you have anything final you wanted to say before we uh, wrap up the conversation? Uh, no. Did um, did you want to call this the the hangout, or did you want to do another hangout? I, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, what I wanted to do with you is I want to do a hangout where we just talk uh, more about science, uh, and it'll just be you and I. So we'll maybe shoot for that next week. Um, so I think you had said you wanted to prepare a few things for that. So if you still want to do that, um, this this would not be a this will just be one where just you and I just talk. Uh, we're not gonna have anybody else come in. So. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. That's good. Okay. Well, we'll plan on that. So. Hey, thank you, Christopher, for uh, for coming on. Uh, no thank doubt. you, uh, Evolution. What false? <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, Evolution false for for jumping thank in. You and thank uh, you yeah, no problem. And uh, Shanna, uh, th Christopher, thank uh, thank your girlfriend for for jumping in. We've had some lively discussions. <laughs> yeah. Hey, logical. So, um, are yeah. you going to go off air momentarily? Yeah, in just a little bit. Yeah. I okay. Um, if you don't mind, I'd just like to chat for a few minutes with you off air. If that's okay with you. No, that's no problem. Sure. All righty. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end the broadcast there, and this will be available on the podcast also. So uh, thank you, everyone, for, for joining in. I appreciate it. Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom and through Adam's offense 